They don't even kiss first. She just pops open his shirt and goes straight to Nip Town. Welcome to Scape Chats episode 13. I'm Alan and I'm here with Magellan yet again. This week we're going to be discussing season 2 episode 1 of Farscape, Mind the Baby, and season 2 episode 2, Vetus Mortis. First up is Mind the Baby, which was directed by Andrew Prowse and written by Richard Manning, originally airing March 17th, 2000. Starting things right off, Magellan, what did you think of the long-awaited return of Team Moya? Well, Alan, thanks for asking. Uh, I thought it was a weird way to start a season. Can it I, really was. Can I throw that out there? Both of the episodes that we watched for today were very odd, and I don't quite know what to make of that except just early season jitters i guess i think the way i would describe them is like the first episode mind the baby felt like a part four right it it just it felt like it should have just come right after the last one Mm -hmm. because it's kind of an epilogue to the last one it doesn't feel like it's building to anything new other than you know tonally and uh aesthetically because there's a lot of new stuff going on visually in the show if you're if you're looking, I think it's it's weird. It's occupying a mid a weird middle ground between a part four and a proper epilogue because it it isn't in a different place and it isn't that much later, but still you need the jump in order for some of the the developments to have taken place to set up this episode. So like the whole, especially the whole Aaron Crace stuff couldn't have happened in the span of, you know, a day between episode 21 and episode 22 of the season. Right, because it suggests that they developed a history between then and now. Right. So, And yeah, it's weird uh, in that sense. And then it's also odd because they haven't, they're still in the same asteroid field. Um, Scorpius is still there. Pretty much nothing in terms of who is where and who's doing what has changed since the end of last season. And yet it feels as if a lot of time has passed and we've had summer vacation and we're back for a new year of school. That's actually a really apt uh, way to frame this uh, episode for us is it's like, it's like we took a quick break, like a quick break, not a long one because Mm -hmm. you know, you go on summer break and you say bye to all your friends and you come back and like one of them's lost a bunch of weight one of them like went to the Caribbean for a month and came back like super dark, but that's going to be gone by October. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> some people are still in, in shorts and it's all, it's really awkward, but you kind of get used to that sort of refractory period after a while, specifically in terms of visual stuff. I think Dargo's makeup took a weird turn. It did. It, he's a lot tanner now. And it, that wasn't as pronounced in the second episode. Um, I think they're probably going to tone it down a little bit, but it, it was, a noticeable difference for sure. How did you feel about that? It seemed like it was going to be a conscious decision at some point. Cause there are parts in the first episode where it feels like he's getting a lot of camera focus and they're trying to be like, Oh, maybe it's weird. Maybe something's going on, but no, it's just, they kind of added some definition to his whole beard situation and, and made, I think it's just a new mask really, or however that, however so that there, prosthetic. There is works. a justification for it. I don't know that it's ever explained in a way where it matters. 
And I think the justification that's given in the background information on the Farscape Encyclopedia Project, the wiki for this show. Game recognized game. We love so much. The costume designer's justification for it is that Dargo was exposed to his, the space exposure caused it. Did which, they say that? Yeah. Which makes sense, I guess. If you're floating in space, there's no atmosphere to protect you from ultraviolet radiation, things like that. So it would make sense that you would get substantially tanner. But I think that seems weird for them to just do. You know what I mean? Like for yeah. them to have that conversation beforehand of, oh, do you think space changed how Dargo looks? Because everybody's going to forget that he was floating in space. And people are just going to know the fact that he's Tanner now, which is, he looks fine. Uh, yeah, he doesn't look like incredibly different or like horrible. It's just, it's a completely different skin tone. It's like if Zahn came back and she was like Violet. Yeah. It's like, all right, we're rolling with it, but is there reasoning behind the, the change? And there is, and there's a justification and we're going to get used to it, but it's just one of those things that happens at the beginning of any new season of any TV show where it's like, oh, things are slightly different now and we're going to have to get reacclimated to the way that this works. Right. And what's weird is that he gets a slightly darker skin, whereas Crichton, who was also in space with him for a little bit, uh, just kind of lost weight. Ben Browder uh, hit the lost, gym. Lost weight? Put some of that weight into his hair? His cool, <laughs> his cool new hair? <laughs> Oh, it's so late nineties. Like he, he watched an instinct music video, and I. One of my notes that I wrote is that he looked like he was one of the Backstreet Boys. Exactly, it's crazy. I think that is one of those things of like, you know, demographic appeal. You know that's I mean? yeah, that's very true. Um, and I, I will say, right before we had this call, you were finishing watching the second episode, right? And uh, you were screen sharing it on Skype. So I could check in and, and look at it, but it was muted. And I got to say, Ben Browder muted looks very handsome, um, <laughs> but he also looks very like marketably handsome, which is something that I forget when it's John Crichton. Like John Crichton as a character to me is not a pretty boy. No. But Ben Browder's kind of a pretty boy. It works for promotional images, but then when you actually watch the show and he's like, Dargo, what's up? And you're like, ugh, you're right. a gross person. It's just, it, yeah, it was, it was strange to me that he works in, in both those ways. And a lot of things are different, too, not just, like, in terms of visual stuff. The theme song is actually exactly the same. I shouldn't have said that the way I said it. <laughs> but what I found interesting is that uh, it's recontextualized now because John Crichton mentions that they're being chased by a crazy captain. And it's a different a person. A crazy military commander. Yeah. But it's, this, it's the same audio. It's the same audio, but now he's referring, like, exactly, like, it, it, it basically lets them recontextualize things without doing a lot of work, which I actually think is a cool thing that happens in both of these episodes, especially the second one, which I feel like we're talking about a little bit too much for, but there really isn't much to say about the first one other than what happens in the plot. I, um, I think right now we're just talking about, like, season two, what's yeah, yeah. going on. Yeah. Yeah. But I just thought that was cool where it's like, oh, you know, we're taking something that's easy and instead of changing it, we, you just think about it in a different context. And if you've been watching the show... You know who the crazy military commander now is, as opposed to who it was before. So I have a question for you. Ask it. How do you think, because we we are not binge-watching this show, um, and I hate that term, but that's that's the term. Yeah. 
Gross. Uh, we're not binge watching it, but we also didn't take several months break in between. No, we did not. The finale in, in this episode. So, do you think that taking a longer break would have served this episode better? Or do you think it's just weird? That's a great question. I think it would have served to make us... Cause so yeah, there I think I think it ultimately would, because there's a lot of scenes in this episode where people are reunited, and it's supposed to be like, oh man, like ah, it's been such a long time, mm-hmm. but for us it's been like a week or a week and change. So that those kind of moments, those reappearance moments, kind of lose their luster. But I don't think there's enough crazy different in this episode for it to feel like a sea change. Like oh my god, months passed and now everything's different. It just kind of felt like another episode of Farsky is the thing. Right. So then, but then it should work fine for us if we want it to be a part four, because we're just watching things straight through and the season demarcation is pretty arbitrary. I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Um, It has a lot of the trappings of the way television was done when things were aired as seasons that don't really make sense anymore and serve to make this episode kind of a filler um, situation. Right. And they <clears throat> filler, of course, for episodes that are just, you know, kind of placeholder. Uh, I think an important thing to note uh, about the difference between seasons is that there is two months between uh, family ties in this episode. Right. So it's not huge. So that helps to make a little bit more sense that, you could drop people into this episode and expect them to remember who Christ is and what the whole situation with Talon is and Aaron's son and all of that and not and Dargo being in space. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't need a previously on. Did they have one? I forget. I don't think so. Right, so they don't exactly... They don't need one. But the the first sort of cool reappearance of a character scene was actually uh, when Aaron's son meets up with Dargo and John Crichton. And she's like, hey guys, what's up? And she's all cool. Uh, I really, really liked the way that scene was shot. And I yeah. think a continuing tre- trend between these two episodes, and hopefully in the future, is a new, uh, more dynamic style of directing. Because we've talked a lot about the house style of this show and how once it settled into its groove, a lot of the episodes sort of looked the same. Yeah. But Mind the Baby, and especially uh, Vetus Mortis, have like really cool directorial decisions in terms of framing the camera and where to put the camera. And these are things that we saw... like bubbling up at the end of season one mm-hmm. a lot of stuff on the gimmick base i referred to as being really well directed and this scene specifically is like shot as if it's someone outside of the room and it gives this really cool uh kind of frame where where aaron is hugging john and, and dargo and being like oh hey guys what's up and it's been so long but i don't know it kind of makes us feel like an outsider just because of the way that it's shot it's cool i appreciate right those little moments well and also there's the, the bars looking through the bars it kind of gives this sense that things are really tense at the, and that they're trapped um and so it heightens the sort of cabin fever that's instigating a lot of the conflict between the characters in this episode um before we get into the plot i have one more question for you okay about this episode do you think that this is an episode that you could start somebody on if they wanted to watch Farscape? That's a good question. Because uh, I, the obviously you've got to watch the pilot at some point to get where these characters are coming from and all that stuff. Yeah. But if, you let's say you were watching this episode 
and somebody walks into the room and is like, what's this? And you say, oh, it's Farscape. Do you think that that person who just walked in could sit down and watch this episode and get a sense for what's going on in the show? Well, I'm glad you asked, Magellan. Uh, if you'll take note, last week uh, we did in fact do a recap episode of season one where we uh, recapped the entire plot and also recommended you a couple of uh, essential and interesting episodes to watch. So, uh, oh, that sounds back. interesting. Yeah, if you really are interested, you should check out Scape Chats episode 12 uh, and you can find that wherever you found this freaking episode. What are you doing? Just go back one episode. It's easy. <laughs> You lazy poop. Um, yeah, I, I think that this episode doesn't work entirely as Alan said. You need a little bit of character motivation. And yeah, you're dropped into Medius Race, like a lot of episodes of this show. But um, you need to know who Scorpius is and what he's got going on with Christ and all of that stuff. And who everyone is. True, but at the same time, uh, I think that stuff, if it's somebody walking into the room... And they're like, oh, I want to watch this Farscape show. All the stuff they would need to know is stuff that can be explained in the span of a couple seconds. Yeah. Like, that's the bad guy, Scorpius. Also, he looks like a bad guy. I don't know. I'm just saying, I think for people who are watching this show all in a row, which I'm assuming that's what people are doing nowadays. Right. I don't think anybody anymore watches TV where it's like, well, the season ended. Now I got to wait a couple months before I watch the next one. Nobody does that on Netflix. God, no. Um, so for people who are watching the show and watching every episode, this episode felt pretty skippable just because it's not doing anything new except getting them out of the season one situation. Exactly. It's just a table clearing episode. Right. But for people who are coming to this um, and have somebody else who's watching the show who really likes the show, I think this episode does a serviceable job of getting you into the universe. Because there's a lot of dialogue that... What I'm getting at is there's a lot of dialogue that does the beginning of season thing where it's like, oh, the, by the way, we're going to say some things that all the characters know, but they're going to say them so that you know them too. Yeah, that's a good point. I I think it, it, it works enough. Sure. That you could get someone in and then ease them into it, especially with the next episode, too, which is more of a sort of singular, <clears throat> easy to understand one. Mm -hmm. So let's get into the, the plot of this episode. The meat of this delicious cold. Let's run it down. So we start with a pretty crazy teaser, if I'm remembering correctly. Everybody's super nervous. Um, Moya's being attacked by uh, by something. By a Shiyang vessel? I don't know. Yep, we've heard of, we've seen those guys before, I think. We have? Who are those I, guys? I, I feel like I've heard the word Shiyang used to refer to an alien race in either this or something else. I'm looking, I'm looking at the picture right now. Uh, they don't possess a fleet, blah, blah, blah. Oh, they were totally in an episode before. Which one? Uh, uh, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because I know the answer. Come on. Dwayne. Anyway, whatever. They're being attacked. They were in Premiere and in PK Tech Girl. They were the bad guys in PK Tech Girl. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yes. The weird, like, they're Asian stereotypes with the fire breath. Yes. I remember now. There you go. Um, so Moya's freaking out because they're getting attacked by something. Yes. And they can't starburst away um, because Moya can't or doesn't want to. She's um, feeling sassy this week. Zahn has gone crazy. Just wackadoo. 
Like, totally crazy. And we'll talk about her more later, but what what the hell is up with her? Um, that that was probably my the thing that was the weirdest to me about this first episode was the way Zahn was acting. Now, that's one of those things where even if you've watched season one, it's almost making you more confused. Mm-hmm. Because just last episode, she's talking about uh, I'm willing to, you know, accept that people are dead. And, and she's, like, approaching a, a, media, a median for her character arc, mm-hmm. like a middle point. Um, and then she just kind of takes a hard right turn this episode. And she's like, I just, they are probably all dead. And I'm going to go full spiritual. Yeah. And that's how I'm going to live my life. And it's weird. Like, the scene where John, because I don't think we need to just go through the episode plot by plot. But, like, there's the scene where John talks to her. And he's like, I'm alive. And she's like, you're alive in my head. He's like, no, like, I'm alive, alive. And she's like, I really believe that you're alive in, in my heart and mind. And he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of a fun, like a back and forth, uh, good comedy in both of these episodes with that. But sure. Son, yeah, that was really strange and off point to me, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so that's going on with them. Uh, Dargo wakes back up after apparently two months of, of sleepy sleeping. Correct. Crichton is super happy. Um, and Dargo, okay. Has Anthony Simcoe like changed his performance? Because Dargo felt way different in this yeah, episode. He did. I feel like that might have been different directing, though. That's possible. I don't know. I genuinely don't know. He just seemed more um, emotional and more. <laughs> I saw more of his teeth. Than I usually do. Which is never a good thing. <laughs> so, I don't know. Dargo had a weird vibe. And his voice was a little higher pitched or something. Uh, it was a whole thing. Then we hear about... Uh, Aaron is talking to Crace at some point. Talking about the arrangement that they have. And how she's afraid of John interfering with it. <gasps> yep. Then then we get to the... Scene. Huh? Did you get to the Scorpius scene? What Scorpius scene? Where it's like, hey, here's a checking on Scorpius. Um, <laughs> not, I haven't gotten to it yet. Okay, okay. Uh, then we get the scene after the theme song. Yep. Where Dargo has woken up and he's really complaining a lot about the name Talon. Like, oh, I hate the name Talon. In a way where it's kind of like, okay, we're just setting this up so that we can tell the viewers that Talon is the name of the ship and it's named after Aaron's dad. Yeah, it's a re-explanation. Aaron comes back. She's pretty gruff with Dargo. She, like, doesn't care that he's awake, which was strange. Yeah, you'd think they'd all be like, I miss you, but it kind of doesn't get super friendly, at least at first. Yeah. Uh, There's a line... That I liked, um, where Dargo says, uh, as John once said, I would rather go down in a swing. And then John's like, oh, right, right. Swinging. Yeah. Swinging. Which, uh, translator microbes of the week. So now I'm just, I'm just going to say that and I'm not even going to ask the question. (laughs) You're just going to say the moment and then say translator microbe of the week. Yeah. Just think about how that works. Just, just sit on that because that, that's that's actually smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Aaron is is just pissed about something, and the they're yeah, food's bad. Whatever, they're having a bad time. 
Uh, Rigel and Shiana are having a discussion back on Moya. The Rigel puppet is slightly different now. It's better. Yeah, better. He's got more articulation to him. Looks more like a... He looked... Honestly, he looked computer-generated at points. In a yeah, good, a lot in of the close way. shots, I was almost positive they were, but like not exactly in a good way. Like They didn't look gross. Uh-huh. Get on them. Um, then we learn that Moya's on her way back to the asteroid field to look for Talon. So that's cool. That's smart, Moya. Go right back into danger. Then we check back in with Scorpius, and he has rods in his brain. He's got glow sticks in his temples. He must be fun at parties. <laughs> That's my note <laughs> for the scene. Mm-hmm. You just, those things. Okay, so for people who don't know what we're talking about, the Scorpius, the bad guy of the show, uh, there's a scene where he's got like a technician who's coming up to him like, ah, oh, your time to replace the fluids or something. And he has these two weird like protrusions on his temples and she pulls them out and they're like cylinders with uh, literally glow sticks that are like blue inside. And she just switches them out for new ones. And he's like, ah, fantastic. And they don't need to say what that is or what it does, do they? It it, it does something specific and interesting that we don't know yet, but I know because I looked it up. Oh, nice. That's that's crazy to me. I'm like <laughs> continuing the theme of, of them adding detail where I didn't think we needed detail. I thought that was such a cool thing to just be like, oh, he doesn't even have a brain. He's, he's Bas- a- basically, yeah. it's just a way in which uh, to artificially induce homeostasis in Scorpius's body. Homeostasis being, of course... Meaning, like, keeping things biologically normal. Oh, okay. I did know what you meant. Homeo. Got it. Stasis. Got it. Um, But why he needs that induced is sort of an interesting development that... I guess we talked about it, that he's half Sebation and half Scarin. Oh, is it just that? We don't know what that means. Oh, I see. And I don't think they've said that technically, but we've talked about it. Um, he just needs his body and his physiology is weird. And so he needs to be artificially cooled. <laughs> it's a liquid coolant. Yeah, it's his air, air conditioning. It's head. LED. Uh, there was a line I wanted to, I liked a lot uh, around this time, right after Aaron and Christ were talking about their plans where Aaron and uh Crichton were talking about how long have we known each other and then like <laughs> how long she's like oh for quite a while and he's like that that i didn't like um, why is that are you gonna talk about them talking about how they had sex yeah you go ahead finish the line sorry <laughs> it's it's just like how, how long have we have how long have we been together oh for quite a while how long have we uh, how often have we been together, though? And then she kind of... I don't know if I love the line or whatever. I just love what Claudia Black brings to that line, where she kind of, like, looks towards the camera and away from what's going on, and she, like, looks down, and she's all sheepish, and she's like, uh, uh, like, a, we did that that thing with, uh, like, a while... We did that a while ago. Once. Well, she and, says, just the once. Yeah, just that one, the one. And he's like, no, I didn't... I mean, like, how long have we just, like, been, like, close... I disliked that part for two reasons. Um, first of all, it's just an example of very sloppy, like, uh, exposition dialogue, which is, you know, is probably bothering me because we're watching it in such close proximity to other episodes. And so we don't need to be reminded of that information. 
Um, but it would be useful information for people who've been away for a couple months or who are just coming to the show fresh. Uh, but so I didn't like it because like I knew that and you didn't need to remind me of it. But the, the real reason that it bothered me is that that seems weird that Aaron would be like embarrassed about that. You know what I mean? Like, it was yeah, a little, for a show that's a so sex positive, too, a little too uh, schoolgirly. Exactly. And then Ben Browder, I don't, okay, John Crichton, <laughs> let's keep straight who I'm yes. at. Um, it's like, no, 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 baby, not that. <laughs> he's so, he's so cocksure. He immediately jumps response. into his, his tough white guy, not his tough white guy, but his like, yeah, exactly, like overconfident yeah. dude. So I wasn't, I wasn't crazy about that line. Um, and also, yeah, it turns them having sex into like a funny joke, which, yeah, like you said, is kind of flying in the face of the show's otherwise very mature stance on sexual relationships. Um, yeah. Some growing pains, for sure. Yeah. And also the setup line doesn't even, like, it doesn't even work as a setup, because his question, I wrote it down too, um, he says, and how many times have we been close? Which is oh, like, right. that's... What does that question mean if not how many times have we had sex? Yeah. So, I don't know. It, it bugged me. Um, but a scene in which Aaron shone was when she, she gets on board Talon, Moya's child ship baby, and is talking to, to Bylar Crace. And he's like, oh, this ship is getting upset. You got to calm it down. And she does the thing that I pointed out uh, last season, where immediately she puts her hand on the inside of the cockpit and is like, hey, Talon, what's up? So I just, I like the way that she interacts with Talon. I think that's that's pretty great. I was still confused at this point in the episode as to what her, what her game is, why she's working with Krace, and what she's hiding from the other guys. And uh, it turns out not... She's not hiding that much. If I remember correctly, their deal is what? That she helps Crace control Talon in exchange for him, like, getting them food and stuff? Is that what it is? It's something like that. I know. I, I kind of understand the first half of that sentence more than I understand the second, like you do, where it's like, yeah, he's better at controlling the ship because it's got Peacekeeper tech and he's more experienced with these things. So she's going to let him take control temporarily if it means something, if it means that he'll keep town like safe and healthy. Well, I was under the impression that he needed her help controlling Talon. Or yeah. Because that's what this scene seems to imply is that he's like, Talon is acting up. Can you come in here and calm him down? And she comes in and she, she talks to him. And then the, the exchange is, uh, well, Crace first of all, found the asteroid, the miracle asteroid that John and, and Dargo are hiding out on that has atmosphere or something. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, this show loves making crazy asteroids. Um, and then, presumably, he's providing them with some other prolonged service. For whatever reason. And he can't leave because Talon is not yet mature enough to starburst. Um, or something. Right. But I, I was just, that deal seemed kind of shaky uh, in terms of exactly what was going on. And also, it made sense to me in a way that 
really made me mad when John and Dargo got so upset about it. Um, cause they would have been dead otherwise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Aaron was doing the smart thing of keeping everybody within arm's reach. Uh, and John and Dargo just flew off the handle because they don't like Crace. Which, yeah. It's just that that was, that was not fair of them to act that way. Uh, so that gets into a gets into a scene that I had a lot of notes on, which is the scene where it's revealed that this is the deal that that Aaron has with Crace, and it, it starts with John and Dargo playing rock paper scissors with each other, which I suppose was kind of cute. Oh yeah, I wrote a note here that that was cute. <laughs> Good, so we agree. Um, I again wrote a note that it seems that Dargo's character characterization is being altered slightly. Um, he just seemed, he seems a bit more open and a bit more, I don't know, like his, he's just being written slightly differently than he was before. I really think that that concept, the writers would argue that that comes from him having a near death experience. Sure. Sort of being enlightened enough to be like, ah, now I appreciate things more, but he's still, especially in the second one, he's still very like hesitant about in close relationships with everyone and he is kind of still pretty punchy. Yeah. Um, then Aaron comes back and this information is revealed. Everybody's shouting at each other a lot. Lots of yelling. Lots and lots of shouting. Lots of really cool shots through bars again. Yeah. Uh, framed through bars. Also, um, does John Crichton just always have a blue light shining on his neck? specifically on his neck just all all the time i feel like john Crichton has a blue light shining on his neck no matter where he is maybe it's a great gatsby situation where it's like the key to his heart Mm. is through his neck or something right i didn't notice that but i'm gonna keep an eye out for that and see if we can make that a regular feature because it happens a lot where there's just blue light on his neck it happened here because blue light was the only light but it happens in other scenes too where there are other colors of light uh, I think it's just a good fill color. Yeah. Uh, and then this scene comes to a screeching halt with the return of the tongue. Did yeah, you, Dargo's tongue. Did you remember tongue. that Dargo has a frog tongue that paralyzes people? Once I saw it, I immediately remembered it. Right. But the last time we saw it was in the pilot episode, right? I think so. I feel like that would have been useful at some point. <laughs> I, yeah... It's like Zahn with her fucking, her cloaking power that we saw in Bone, to, in Bone to be Wild. Like, why are you hiding your fancy alien powers? Another theme of these two episodes is that everyone has secret awesome powers. Like, Rigel has the ability to expand his ass. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Dargo in his paralyzing tongue. He, who does he paralyze? Is it Crichton or Aaron? He paralyzes Aaron because oh. she's, she's trying to stop them from uh, going after Crace. Right. And then uh, <laughs> then John and Dargo have a debate over who gets to go fight Crace. And uh, Dargo says something like, oh, I, I could break him, uh, something like that. And then John says, Dargo, you couldn't break wind right now, which I liked as a line. That's a great line. Yeah. And then they decide who gets to go by playing rock, paper, scissors. So that's a cute reincorporation of that thing, which they built into the scene so they could do that, I guess. Um. Then we cut back to Moya, where Zahn is crazy and she's doing crazy meditation. Shiana tries to talk to her to get her 
out of that to engage with the world again, and she refuses. Um, she claims that she has rededicated herself to the Delvian Sikh, uh, which I guess is similar to sort of a Buddhist, like, seeking enlightenment kind of thing. A, oh, a nirvana see. situation, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I explained that then. Yeah. I wrote that this episode is so stressful. It is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that you want to come back to a season two episode one with everyone being friends again after they reunite. Right. But it doesn't. There's immediately conflict, like primary big Aaron son conflict. Yeah. It's like, oh, guys. In a way, she's the antagonist in this episode. If you use the traditional literary definition of antagonist, because we use literary definitions here. It's Capcats. We sure do. Um, Cape Cats. Uh, because in that case, the antagonist is the person that makes the protagonist have to change. Uh-huh. She's she's the engine, uh, and and Talon is the train. <laughs> Farscape. <laughs> That's a good. No, that that was a good point for most of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she, Aaron, is um, a big part of of a change that John Crichton has to confront by the end of this episode. The question of can Crace be a better dude and can he be different or is he always going to be bad? Uh, because John walks in on him in this scene on his little communicator with Scorpius talking about like, Oh, I'm going to get you Crichton and blah, blah, blah. And Scorpius has a great line where he says, my patience is formidable Crace, but it is not infinite. Oh, I love that line. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and then, John Crichton busts in. Ben Browder does some goofy, crazy guy acting, which he excels at. <laughs> um, he asks if Sebations have a word for chutzpah. Yep, I wrote that down. Damn yep. it. Crichton says, I was in the neighborhood when he ambushes crazy. <laughs> yeah. He turns into a weird horror villain. Exactly. Like, if What are this, you doing? Why do you have a gun on me? I was hanging out. Was if around. this show was written from Crace's perspective... Then John would have come in with a hockey mask. <laughs> basically. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so they have this whole yelling conversation. Oh, here I wrote, yeah, you were saying he acts crazy. I wrote, yeah, Ben Browder is constantly drunk acting. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're just, you're crazy. Oh, man, buddy. Pretty, pretty much. Bubby. Which is what undermines his uh, his boy band good looks. Exactly. His <laughs> His boy bandish. His boy bandishness. Uh, and he drops a ton of references or just like earth ways of thinking about something that Chris is just not going to understand. He talks about cars, about having a midlife crisis, about Malibu, I think, at some point. Yep. He says, you should you take this and go. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like six in a row. He's like, I'm gonna take it to Malibu, but you and you're gonna have the drink and the beach, but you don't get to take the porch. Yeah. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> Again, if you hear this from Christ's perspective, it's it's John coming with a hockey mask and just spouting garbage at him. He's like, right. He's speaking I, a totally foreign tongue. I'm so scared. Like a scary alien language. <laughs> um. But this results in John capturing Crace. After Ooh, Talon man. tries to defend him with the guns inside of him. Mini turrets, all of the Talon prosthet not mm-hmm. prosthetics, all of the Talon like weaponry and stuff is super dumb looking, but in a yeah. cool way. Uh, he takes Crace back to Moya, where John 
enters the ship with the wonderful line, Yo, Chi, what up? When he's talking to Chiana. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that this is the scene that I was talking about where I was like, the writers want us to be very happy that everyone's back together. Yeah. But we saw them together last week, and that's really weird. Like, uh, Chiana is like, oh, John! And then she hyper jumps over to him. <laughs> yeah. She, jumps across, she crosses a room in one foul, foul jump. Another superpower that one of the characters on the show has that we've never <laughs> right. learned about. Right. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that, that scene would have almost been emotionally resonant if not for the fact that she can jump across the room. And it makes like a, it's like a whoosh, whoosh like yeah, a cool noise. It's so too. weird. I loved his little kiss on Crace's head. That was cute. He says, Yo, yes. she yeah, and then kisses Chris. Yep, yep, yep. She does a little super super jump. Then we get that scene you're talking about where Zahn thinks John is a ghost, which honestly I didn't think was funny, um, only because it took Zahn too long to realize what was going on. And then when she did realize, it didn't change anything about how she was reacting to John. Well, no, I, I think I like the Zahn stuff more than you do. Is that weird? I think it's it's just coming out of left field because not enough other things have changed that drastically. Right. This is the kind of character development thing that either has to come mid-season after Zahn has been like driven to the brink for a few episodes in a row... Or it has to come at the beginning of a new season where everybody's different. We're like, Rigel has an eye patch now. <laughs> <laughs> nice accidental Buffy reference. <laughs> um, no, if we can talk about Buffy for a second, though, this felt a lot like a Buffy season premiere. Which gives me hope for this season. Mm-hmm. Because for people who don't know, we've watched Buffy before this. Uh, again, I need a theme song for that. <laughs> um and the way that Buffy does their uh, season premieres is they'll have, like, an episode where things are a little bit different and people are just kind of resetting the pieces, but it doesn't feel different enough that it feels like a different season. And then, like, episode around, like, three or four is when things start to get really different and right. make sense. Like, this is a completely different uh, thematic arc for everyone, but it doesn't feel different enough yet. And that's exactly, that's a really good point. Like, exactly. this episode feels like a Buffy premiere. And Buffy premieres are... Like notoriously, the low points of seasons. And remember the one where Buffy fought Dracula. Well, okay, that episode's not terrible. That episode's not bad. Uh, and also, not There's no bad episode of Buffy. <laughs> not including the season where she, the first episode is like, oh, we're in college now. I wonder if Farscape's gonna have that. <laughs> <laughs> the college years of Farscape. Don't. <laughs> Can we can we write this? Hold on, <laughs> Dargo's and on the football team. No, okay. John Crichton's on the. Oh no, he's on the lacrosse team. Probably. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, and he's got like a he's got like a Letterman jacket, and uh, it says like David Letterman on it. And uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> I'm trying to think of where Aaron fits. She's like one of those like archery nerds. She's yeah, one of those she, girls that's like ooh, way into knives. Claudia Black looks like an archer. She's got the build for it for some exactly, reason. Exactly, exactly. She's like and then like aerodynamic. Chiana and Rigel are like sitting in the back of the class throwing spitballs at people. They're the burnouts for sure. Absolutely. Oh my god. And and Chris is on like the chess team or something. (laughs) And he's like, I'm gonna someday. (laughs) (laughs) Crichton, you wedgied my brother. (laughs) 
<laughs> they're like, dude, it's like 1130. We haven't even had lunch yet. What are you talking about? It's like, um. <laughs> oh, man. I have a free period. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of time to think about this. Zahn's one of the hippies. Oh, my God. It works. It, will it write, works perfectly. We'll, we'll script it up. Um, yeah, so Zahn thinks that he's a ghost. And then, okay, this is something that they didn't address. When, like, she's like, oh, you're real. They hug or something. And then she, like, whispers in his ear and it turns him into a, a an electric thing. She does. By that, I mean, he gets something. shocked. He's like, Whoa. Either that's like Zon's doing some weird spiritual stuff, or that's going to come back later. I hope it comes back, because I don't know what the hell it was. I know, yeah, I did remember that. That's not on my notes, but I do remember that. That's going to be something, I think. We cut back to Scorpius. I don't remember what happens. I just wrote the note. Does Scorpius have short arms? <laughs> he does some pointing and gesturing, is what it is. Well, when he's walking around, he like, he swings his arms in a cool way. But they're like pretty compact. Like he's got a, He's got a... A pretty small frame for a bad I'll, guy. I'll give you 35 cents if you can tell me who plays uh, the character of Scorpius on the TV show Farscape. Well, let me tell you. Uh, how much time do I have? Uh, Wayne Pigram is how much time you have. <laughs> uh, Wayne Pigram. Wayne Pigram. Is he a, That's fun to say. Is he a cool looking guy? He's a bald dude. Bald dude. Yeah, well, Magellan looks that up. I'm going to talk about Rigel. Can I talk about Rigel, or do you have more stuff to talk about with Scorpius? No, I, I don't have more stuff. Go for it. Okay, so Rigel's like, oh my god, John's back! He's like, yeah, buddy. And then he's like, <laughs> and you're like, um, um, <laughs> R.I.P. Rigel? What the? <laughs> We're going right into this, eh? And then, it, yeah, I'm not, just yet again, a cool character detail that we didn't need to know about that I really appreciated is that uh, Hynerians, uh choke and, like, get something lodged in their throat when they get really emotional. Mm-hmm. Which is a really cool detail, because that is a... If you think of it as, like, a little... Like, an awkward metaphor for being choked up, and then I... Um, on one hand... Yeah, on one hand, I really like it. On one hand, I hate that. But I, I think I like it more than I don't like it. <laughs> I like it just because we're gonna surely see it again. Yeah, it's an easy thing to do yeah. with Rigel every time something emotional happens. But, but... Booty butt. Uh, they don't move the puppet's mouth when he chokes at all. Mm. And it looked awkward. Because what he's doing is he's choking, and they're, like, holding him, and then he's supposed to be like, oh, oh, no, I'm fine. But when he says, like, no, I'm fine, his mouth is not moving at all. Not even, And it's like he's yeah. in the center of the shot. There's some bits in both these episodes where the, the sinking just doesn't look quite right. Exactly. It's like anime dubbing. Yeah. Um, I have so- a note here that says Zahn loves Aaron. Yes, so that was the next scene that I I really liked the way that this yes. played out. Yay, we love the thing together. <laughs> uh, Aaron goes in to see Zahn, like, hey, what's up? And Zahn is like, I'm doing the seek right now. I uh, just got to do the seek. I love you. And then Aaron's like... Ah, uh, that's weird. Uh, that's weird. Do you, though? And Zahn's like, yeah, I love everybody. I love you, and I love Rigel, and Crichton. And Aaron's like, well, if you love them, why are you hiding in your room and meditating and not helping them at all why are you being so shitty to all of us because i always thought that loving people meant that you would be willing to die for them so bye you're playing it a little comedically but it is a really great iron son like claudia black kills it in this scene oh yeah yeah Ugh. 
she the best character on the show? Yes. What? For sure. What? Claudia Black is by far the best actor. Yeah. Okay, that's show. fair. She feels like she's on a different show sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. She's doing a little bit better than everyone else. I I don't know. I really like uh, Christ as an act that uh, Lonnie Tupu. Oh, yeah. Lonnie and, Tupu's great. And I like um, Chiana. I like uh, Gigi Edgley. But that's because I like Chiana. I don't think that's acting. I think that's just I like every line they give her. Sure. Um, then we go to a scene where Grace is in a cell, and I just wrote that he's trying to be less of a racist, kinda. Again, you gotta contextualize these things. Because I am about to. Oh, uh, good. Because he's talking about, he's talking to Dargo. Um, oh, Ka Dargo? Yeah, about Dargo's old life as a farmer. Uh, and Dargo's like, yeah, I had a pretty cool life as a farmer. And uh, the guy's like, and uh, Grace is like, that's cool. And Dara's like, is it cool? Because my wife was a sebation. I bet you'd hate that. And then Crazy's is like, yeah, that's that's fucking gross to me. I really think that's disgusting. <laughs> um, it's like, damn it, you tried, buddy. Well, but then he's like, but that's because sebation culture has conditioned me to fear uh, contamination by other races. And he's like, and since that was something that the peacekeepers instilled in me, it's now up for review, essentially. Like, he's, Crace is fully re-examining his entire worldview, which is really fascinating. Yeah, that's a lot. He he gets a lot of minor moments in this episode like that. Mm-hmm. And it really makes you think that, like, yeah, Crace is the shithead, but he could be a better guy. It, and that that is the question of this episode. That is the overarching question, is can we trust Crace? Can we give him a chance and have him redeem himself? Yeah. Can people be better? Really? Because that, that's a big question of, of Farscape. And I think it's going to become a big question going forward is can people overcome their darker impulses and be better people or better aliens? Um, keep, it, keep an eye on that for one of our season two themes. Yes. So now, now we get to the point where Talon... Is freaking out because he doesn't. The have next a- couple minutes of scenes are really weird. You think so? Like insanely weird. Are we talking about like the hand and all that good stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. This is like the weirdest stuff I've seen on the show so far. Yeah. Some of it. So Talon's demanding a captain because he's afraid because um, Scorpius is around doing some stuff, and he really just needs somebody to to be there for him. And uh, Aaron's like, "All right, I'll go over." And Talon Talon demands Crace. No, I want Daddy. Yeah, which is, that's interesting, because we as a viewer think that Aaron is the one that that works. Well, she does too. This is her thing. This is the thing that's given her life meaning is like, you know, Moya entrusted me to name this kid. And now this kid, or I'm going to just keep calling Talon a kid, um, (laughs) is sort of likes me and respects me and I'm able to tame him. Uh, But now I'm not, I'm chopped liver to him. Now he has a better uh, boss. Right. It's well, like, could, but it speaks a lot to talent. <laughs> it speaks a lot to Talon's character, which, by the way, we don't appreciate this enough. The fact that their ships have motivations, but the ships on this show have motivations. It's wonderful that the show's devotion to character with Christ and Aaron's son is a three character scene. It's not a two character scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it really speaks to Talon's character that Christ is the person that he identifies with. Well, he wants a masculine figure. He wants a masculine figure, but also Talon is trying to... Talon feels like an outsider. Um, and Aaron sure can comfort him, 
But she's she has the Moya crew. She has that community. Whereas Crace has nobody except Talon. And I yeah. think Talon senses that. And that's sort of why he picks Crace. Because they are fully kindred spirits with one another. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I just... Uh, I, I didn't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. Wait, can I just... Uh, tying into the theme of can people be better, maybe the point of the show is that people find how to be better in other people. So Chris finds how to be better in talent. That's my And that's an interesting uh, sort of uh, metaphor for companionship is that we find someone else that makes us better and Mm -hmm. we find someone else who gives us a purpose. Who gives us this, you could say, the hand of uh, of friendship. Well, I was going to get there. But I was first going to say the note that I really didn't want to say, but I'm going to say it and you can't stop me. Please. Talons. Doors look like vaginas. <laughs> They're yeah, kind of, kind of. Like, no, like gaping. Like that's <laughs> Jesus. It's weird. Uh, it's weird because they open up. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. This is really crass for a really mature couple of scenes we're getting to. But Aaron's son and jo- and uh, Christ come out, and they come sort of come from off camera through this door up into the center room where they in- interact with Talon, and they just come through this door that like. <laughs> It, like, slides open yeah. like a screen door, and it just, it was so gross. But that also speaks to how cool the organic life and organic ships in this show right. are, mm-hmm. is that it looks like that. Yeah. So before we dig into the Aaron Crace t- uh, Talon scene, one uh-huh. line that I liked from the whole, like, Talon's calling uh, is when John Crichton shouts, Pilot, get that boy on the phone. <laughs> yes. They're really upping, they're changing John's characterization too a little bit. Um, cause John Crichton in the first season was definitely a very level headed, like science guy. Uh huh. And he's becoming more and more of like self assured, not, I don't want to say jockey, but I don't know, much more confident and much more of like a man's man character. And my, my hypothesis is that that is the influence of, of Ben Browder and them seeing him over a season and starting to write John Crichton more to Ben specifically, as opposed to writing him as a general, you know, white guy protagonist. General white guy protagonist reporting for duty. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, had they chosen a different actor than season one, Crichton would have been much more meek and nerdy. But once they realize that Ben Browder does drunk acting and and confident much better, they played, they wrote for the actor. Right. And also because Rocking Out of Sylvanon has a huge hard on for uh, Ben Browder there, I said it. Uh, which I think is great. Uh, it's just... That hard on is, it's a great hard on. It's a wonder, wonderful, wonderful hard on. Uh, it's Rockney hard. Um, yeah, let's give that some silence. All right. Cold open. <laughs> easy, and, easy. Uh, it's just there's this is a rocky a rockney transition <laughs> into, <laughs> into this new characterization. I'm so mad at you. This I don't new want to characterization for John. Uh, we're in a transitional period for John and for Dargo and for a lot of these characters. Uh huh. Um, so that's all I'm saying. I wrote Crace is so fucking smooth for some reason. I think I just like Crace. Well, I mean, we get to the hand of friendship scene. Right. So Aaron tries, Crace goes over to, to Talon. Aaron tries to go with him. She figures that the three of them are going to fly off into space together. And she's just going to have to stick with them because she wants to make sure Talon doesn't get hurt. 
Um, and then there's a great exchange where John's like, hey, if you if you hurt Aaron, I'm going to hunt you down. And Cray uh, says, you're going to hunt me down. It would complete the symmetry nicely, wouldn't it? <laughs> Which was <laughs> a very clever line. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the three of them get onto onto the ship. Oh, and I keep skipping over stuff. Um, Aaron and, and John's parting at this moment. He's like, you know, the last time we were at this spot, we said we wouldn't say goodbye. Uh, and then they do say goodbye, and they like interlock fingers, and then she leaves. So just a reminder that these two characters really, really care about each other. Um, and we're using f- physical intimacy to convey that. Fingers are the theme of this episode and the next one. Yes. <laughs> uh, we'll explain that what that means when we get to the second episode. Uh, oh, and then Grace g- gives them a great, like, get a room face. Yes. When they're doing that. <clears throat> yes. Uh, okay. So we're on Talon now. Oh, man. And Aaron's like, all right, cool. Uh, listen to me. Don't listen to Grace. Let's hang out. Who do you want to be with? And then the floor opens up. And out pops a little man. Vern Troyer joins the show as a main cast. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah, like a gross metal hand comes out. Yeah, a really cool gross metal hand comes out. It's like one of those things that you buy at like science museum gift shops. The little uh, extendable reachy claw. Oh, yeah, with like the little... Yeah, you I can, can pull the, squeeze the thing, and it closes the claw. It's like yeah. one of those. Crace uh, calls it the hand of friendship, and it's the greatest honor that Talon can bestow. The hand job of friendship. I'm sorry, I've been drinking. I like <laughs> it. I forgive you. Good, thank you. Uh, yeah, so the idea of the hand of friendship is whoever uh, Talon decides he wants to be bonded with, um, he's going to get all up in them bones. And they're going to be bonded forever, physically. And he's going to put this hand in their back, the back of their skull. Um, which, before we talk about who it goes to, I want to say that I think this... So is this the origin story for where a pilot comes from? No, I don't think so. Because I was kind of thinking, like, I would really love to see a, like, pilot the college years. Where it's like, what was pilot up to right before he He's became... like a cool human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he runs. He runs, like, a Jewish bakery. And he has three kids, and uh, he turns 15, he's like, I'm going to space, honey. And then the first thing that happens in space is, hi, I'm Moya. <laughs> and I'm Lonnie Tupu, and now I'm Pilot. Right. But no, yeah, no, uh, he ends up, or he being Talon, ends up choosing Krace. Right. For the hand of friendship. What a weird moment. Because Krace is like, oh, bring it on, and he just... <laughs> And Aaron, on the Aaron's like, what the fuck is happening? I didn't think this was going to happen. I'm weirded out and scared and I'm confused. Uh, and then so he's... It, that scene was awesome because Crace mm-hmm. and Lonnie Tuba gets to play Crace as just like completely... Like he's just lost it. And he's 100% in Talon now. He, She's kind of like, oh, don't you guys need me? And she's like, nope, don't need you anymore. She's like, no, but like the pilot is shipping. He's like... We got, we got this. We can pilot this together. And she's like, but and he's like, you can go back. This is mine now. Talon and I are one and we're best friends and <laughs> Sonic is real and he's my best friend. <laughs> and then she's like, oh man, well, <laughs> this isn't good. Mm-hmm. Then she tries to fight. Talon brings out his guns again. 
Some yep. terrible punching sound effects. Bad, yep. bad sound effect work in this episode, I gotta say. Yeah, up. Across the board. Um, but then Aaron leaves. Crace calls up Scorpius. And uh, you know what he does, Alan? Uh, well, I want you to tell me. He tells Scorpius that he killed John Crichton. Oh, yeah. Which was, that was sweet of him, right? Yeah. That was that was a nice gesture. And then he I, starbursts out of there. They didn't think that he could, but he could. Talon pushed his hardest and he made a, a boo-boo. Yeah, he's out of there. Uh, that line is where this episode worked for me. Because it kind of did, it, it, it closed the loop on the theme of like of this episode. It's like, hey, can can Crace like be an okay guy? Even though he stole a ship, and even though he chose to bomb with the ship, but he didn't bomb with the ship for like mali- mali- ugh, what am I thinking of? Malicious, malicious. Thank you for malicious reasons necessarily. Mm-hmm. He's just like, well, this works now. This is what I want. He's, like, I he's to- looking for a place to belong, just like Whoa. all the other characters on this show. Honestly, Whoa. he's oh. he's okay. He's Sorry. looking for a purpose, and Talon gives him a purpose. It gives him a mentee. Basically. Exactly. And it gives so him where, the where are they going? To, well, I don't know. I think he's just going to roam. We're going to cruise the San Fernando Valley. Yeah. <laughs> but first, 7-Eleven. So Scorpius gets mad. He has his little scaring voice pop up. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Did, was that, did, I, did I do that? <laughs> and then I wrote that he has a cool ball that he's just throwing around. I don't remember that. He's just I think you're lying. Hold on a cool ball. No. Uh, he wasn't fooled by Crace's ruse. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. That was funny because the guy who's becoming like his new cool second in command, uh, Crace was like, or ugh, Scorpius was like, yeah, go find that ship. And then they're like, oh, but John Crichton's dead. So it's nothing. And they're like, we're done. Right. And he's like, no, you idiot. <laughs> no, you dildo. Come on. <laughs> do you think I'm stupid? What do you think I am? <laughs> just, yeah. He's like, um. Yeah, he's not dead. He lied to you. And we're going to find him. And also, we're going to find Chris. And everyone's dead. But we need John Cryon. Mm-hmm. Scorpius is just a cool villain. He is. I love him. He's my favorite patient villain of all time. Since, uh, well, are there any good patient villains? Like, just chill dudes? Um, in this kind of pop culture? Or pop culture? I'm trying I like to think. I mean, Scorpius is kind of dominating that category in my mind right now but there are definitely villains that have a sort of cool demeanor to them like uh have you ever seen marathon man no it's the one where i know the movie it's the one with the torture and the what's the line i forget the line now (laughs) uh but it's like shit i gotta just look it up oh my god so looking things up is the death of podcasts and it's not the death if you reprimand the person who's looking it up the whole time. You're the worst. Is it safe? Yes. Yeah, it is. Is it safe? Is the line? It is. Oh. <laughs> is it safe? Oh, that, I, I want to watch Clone High. <laughs> that's the scene that's emblematic to me of like a patient villain. But then he kind of loses his composure a little bit. Right. Um, Spoilers for a 60-year-old movie. Right. That's the power of a patient villain, though, is that then you can bust him out and make him mad. And it's super, super scary. Which is what Scorpio does. Right. And every time he does it, it's like, oh, shit. He's mad. Uh, so then we go back onto the ship. We're cooling down. We're doing the, the end of episode little scenes here. 
Dargo walks in on Zahn and says, if you're going to be in a coma, at least you could smile. Yeah. They're happy. They like each other. She calls him Sweet Dargo, which I haven't noticed until now. She does a lot, and it's always odd to me. It's like how in uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, D's character Sweet name D. is technically Sweet D. Correct. Um, that's what it reminded me of. Sweet, me too. Sweet Dargo. And then we get a fantastic, fantastic ending scene between John and Aaron. Ugh. Where they're hanging out in Pilot's room. And oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just kind of cuddled up. Oh. Talking about stuff. And then uh, Aaron asks him, well, do you believe people can change? Or will you believe... What does she say? Well, you do believe people can change, don't you, John? And she kind of gives him this knowing look of like... Because, you know, I have changed, right? So if I can change, then Grace can change. Um, and yeah, so it puts John in this position of like, well, I got to think about that. Which is really, really cool. Aaron makes John a better person. Exactly. And vice versa. Right. That scene made me feel things. <laughs> it was a good, it was a really good scene. I like to imagine that Pilot like looks over the edge and he's like, "Are you guys? Are, are you still? Are you done?" I I can't leave this room. <laughs> you can't, you guys even do stuff physically bonded to this room. And you guys are gonna do handsy stuff. Like just go like two feet to the right because you're still in my. Moya country. has so many rooms. This this <laughs> ship is huge. I can even tell the droids to the DRDs to leave. Like it doesn't have to. Okay. Oh oh. There's okay. <laughs> well. Um. Yeah. So overall, I think really kind of weird bridging episode that ultimately had a nice resolution to this. Yeah. Arm, to this. Yeah. Um, and I guess it needed to happen now just because they couldn't they didn't want to end a season on wrapping everything up. Yeah. Because then why would you watch the next one? Exactly. So that was the episode. Do you want to hear about the background information that is on? on I, I'm begging you. The I, Encyclopedia on bended knee. Okay. As a man of uh, no country, yes. I beg. I, I, I bequeath. Just say that. Do it. Well, uh, let me tell you. Beginning with this episode, Gigi Edgley, Chiana, is promoted to the main cast, and she's in the opening credits now. Woo! Woo! I noticed it. Yeah, good for her. This is the first episode that they shot at a new studio. Um, so this show was totally relocated to a different place, which may partly be adding to the weirdness of it. They're in Oklahoma now. Uh, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I think they're west of Sydney, Australia. Oklahoma right. is west of Sydney, Australia. Uh, I guess I can't argue with that. Mm. Also, the first episode... With effects done by Animal Logic. Oh my god. So now you know who to blame when the visual effects look bad. I feel like I've heard of Animal Logic before. They're probably good. Uh, the director, Andrew Prouse, has a weird quote here where he says that Luxons have two of everything, suggesting that Dargo could play rock, paper, scissors with himself. Well, to be fair, that is another cool, cool Farscape facts. True. <laughs> so it's just like dumb trivia. I don't really know what, that, awesome. what that implies. Uh, oh, here's a very interesting piece of trivia, which may speak to some of the, the weirdness that we saw in this episode. Okay. This was originally intended to be the second episode of the season and was filmed second. Oh. 
It was originally supposed to take place after an episode called R.E. colon Union. So like reunion, but like regarding Union, which is... <laughs> Thank you. I'm just saying, you know, you can't see. It's a visual title. <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> uh, which is actually that title really encapsulates the themes that we've been digging into in, in this episode. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah, so, hey, thank you. <laughs> um, so, it was a, that was originally going to be the, the first episode, but then that was repackaged as the eighth episode of this season and turned into more of like a, here's what the Moya crew was doing while for the two months while you guys were stuck in the asteroid field. I'm excited for that. Yeah, so... We're going to find that stuff out in a few episodes. But that speaks to the weirdness of this, this episode that it was intended to be second. There's a quote from Rockness O'Bannon here talking about um, how they didn't really have a plan for how they would fix family ties when they wrote it. So Uh-oh. they had to really be like, um, yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. And then they did figure it out. I get the impression that that's a lot of the show. And he writes that uh, the largest portion of the problem solving came from Richard Manning, the writer of this episode, yep. who became known as the guy who always would clean up and tie up loose ends uh, and, and resolve cliffhangers. Thanks, Richard. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Which is cool. So is he... I'm looking at him now. It looks like he's the guy that writes season premieres. Like, that's his thing. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Basically. Uh, also the guy who wrote Throne for a Loss, that old black magic, Nerve, things like that. Uh, Rockness O'Bannon also says, very interesting quote here about how now Sci-Fi Channel is taking uh, more of a hands-off approach to this show. Yep. Letting them do more multi-arc stories and also eventually encouraging them and asking for multi-arc or multi-part uh, stories. That's a hard thing for a network to do. Yes, but I'm I'm assuming that Sci-Fi Channel was low enough in viewership that the, all everybody that was watching were people that were fans of the show. Because I, I don't think Sci-Fi Channel is going to get people that just hop on to their shows in the middle. There's a video that I sent you, and I'll put in the description for this episode also, uh, that I found on YouTube just by searching Farscape, and it was Sci-Fi's 20th anniversary, which doesn't make sense because there's no way that the show is 20 years old or that it even was when that video came out in 2012. That makes no sense. But um, it says, like, oh, 20th anniversary of Farscape reunion. We brought back a bunch of the cast and crew to talk about their feelings about the show. And uh, I think it's either uh, Rockney or Ben Browder who's like, yeah, Sci-Fi was, like, not a channel that people watched. It was the reruns channel. It was the Star Trek and, uh, like, Stargate and all the old shows that people liked channels, but they were just syndicated forever. And so it was, like, helping people, new generations discover those. But then they were like, we need something original. We need something weird and like those shows, but different enough. And then Brian Henson and Rocky Nelson Band were like, hey, uh, what about puppets? And then that's <laughs> kind of how Farscape happened. And then, yeah, at first it was like, we need this to fit a certain mold. And over time they were like, you guys are the reason we're still afloat. This show, this show saved the sci-fi channel in a big interesting. way. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recommend everyone watch that, that video. It's very interesting. Uh, a couple more items here. They slightly changed the clips that they use in the opening sequence. That's cool. They do? A little bit. Here's this note that I mentioned about how the 
Dave Elsie, who I'm assuming is a costume designer Correct. or a producer or something, yeah. uh, justified the change to Dargo's complexion by saying that it was from space exposure. Uh, something we didn't notice, but apparently a puppeteer's hand is clearly visible at the bottom of the screen when the hand of friendship appears. We didn't pick up on that, but which little, what little puppet would it be there? That is a puppet. The oh, the hand itself. Yes, interesting. Um, and then also, in case you for some reason watched a version of Human Reaction where they cut out the John Aaron sex scene, uh, just so you know, they had sex. We got to see it, <laughs> right? Spe- yeah. Speaking of getting to see sex. Oh my god. Nice. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the second episode? Yeah, but give me like a hot minute. Yeah. Give me like give me the ability to say we'll be right back. Hello, Escape Chats listeners. This is Alan here with another Moya Bag where I discuss your feedback and talk about the episode several months after we recorded them. This week we got quite a few comments, as we often do. The first one comes from the Escape Chats episode thread on the Farscape subreddit which can always be found at reddit.com slash r slash farscape. This comment comes to us from TRK2, who says, I'm really enjoying your podcasts. One suggestion I have for future season recaps is to add a plot, story, character arc prediction segment for the upcoming season. That way, the Farscape veterans can have a good laugh at your expense. TRK2, I think that's a really good um, suggestion. We tried doing something like that with the season one recap uh, episode, but... What ended up happening was we couldn't think of anything, so we just kind of said, ah, stuff's going to happen. However, we have not actually recorded the Season 2 recap yet, and so we are going to take that feedback and we're going to put it into the episode. So get excited for us blindly shooting in the dark, trying to find uh, some sort of prediction for what happens in Season 3, having only watched Season 2 and 1. The next thing... Oh, the next one's actually not... That's the only comment that we got on the Farscape subreddit. Uh, or in our episode thread, rather, but on the subreddit separately, um, a user whose name I can probably find if you give me a second, uh, was asking uh, around in terms of like, oh, oh, here it is. Mariti was the original commenter, and they had a post that was talking about how they're at the beginning of season three, and they really enjoy the show, and they are getting into the hype of it, and Domain101, frequent commenter and frequenter of the Farscape subreddit, mentioned our podcast as a thing that you should listen to if you are interested in Farscape and you want to hear some other people discovered for the first time. So thank you again, Domain101. That's a very nice, it's very nice that people are actually recommending us to other people because that is, that is what keeps us going. That's what keeps the lights on and it's the best. Um, Maridi was saying they're not a big fan of podcasts, but they'll give us a shot and they said they like what they've heard so far. So um, thank you for being a new listener. Uh, the next thing I have is an email actually. We always are accepting emails at our email address, which is scapechats at gmail.com. And this week, we actually got an email from one Samuel Ruland. Hey, guys. First of all, I want to thank you for doing your show on Farscape. As someone who's seen the series multiple times, my modus operandi is to usually only listen to podcasts with other such individuals like myself who use expert analysis to delve into deep analysis and connections across the series. However, your show at times takes me back to when I first watched the series year, years ago. Side note, I, when I first read this email, worried that that, however, was going to lead to uh, you saying, like, however, you guys are terrible, but you're the only ones out there, so fuck it. <laughs> but I appreciate the kind words. 
uh, this email goes on. I've wanted to email for quite some time, and I finally found the perfect opportunity. Right away in the season recap, you guys state that John and DK's purpose of using the Farscape 1 is to test wormholes. Not true. The purpose of Farscape 1 was to test John's theory that a manned spacecraft can overcome atmospheric friction to increase its velocity to previously unrecorded speeds by using a planet's natural gravity. If you recall, the series used to enable Moya to escape the Peacekeepers. Also, the opening for the show clearly states John saying a radiation wave hit and I got shot through a wormhole. Thank you once again for doing this podcast. Like I said, it takes me back to a time when I first viewed the series. Sam. This was definitely just a slip up on my part when we did the season one recap. We do both know that the, like, we know why the whole wormhole thing happened. I think we were getting it mixed up with some of the stuff that happens in human reaction, but the correction is important, and I appreciate that, especially in an episode that I often cite to people as, like, this is the one you should start with, which is our one season one recap, and for us to, like, completely flub what the <laughs> instigating action of the show is it's kind of silly um so that's that is the feedback that we got this week um you can always email us or post uh, a comment on our episode threads on the farscape subreddit those are the two easiest places to get at us we also have a twitter at scape chats where we got um or i i just had a, another back and forth with uh twitter user old as your omens who was talking about how Season 3 is the really sad one, and I'm really excited about all the sad times that are going to happen in that. Uh, one of her comments was, You are in for a thing. So much thing. Season of death, season of pain, season of beauty and humor and weird. Which really sums up a lot of the show, and I'm hoping all of that stuff gets super duper amplified as we move on. The that is the, So yeah, that's all the feedback that we got. Um, I just wanted to also mention a thing that's been going on in terms of why we haven't put out, like, we haven't recorded new episodes. Uh, Magellan, the last, a couple days ago, we tried to record the season two finale episodes and then maybe the recap. And we got on the Skype call and we started talking and then Magellan's mic stopped working or it stopped working before we even talked. So that is bad. Uh, his, his microphone just like kind of crafted the crap the bed and we don't know what to do about that. I mean, he said he's looking at either going to fix it, which seems pretty difficult or just get a new one. Um, so that's just further putting a damper on our plans in terms of like getting to do that next episode, um, which has been dogging us for such a long time now. It's like kind of hilarious, but it will be recorded. It absolutely will. You know, um, hopefully, I mean, like by this summer, we're both going to be pretty free for a while. What with us graduating from, uh, let's just say college and leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so we're going to have a lot of free time. Um, and, and so then we'll have a new, we'll new mics and we'll, you know, be recording with better uh <laughs> sort of like recording style because we've been getting better at this show over time and it'll be great it'll be a beautiful time uh i want to real quickly i always forget to do this i want to plug the music that i'm using uh for these moya bags the song is planet by anamanaguchi it's off their album endless fantasy anamanaguchi is a chiptunes band based out of california they're one of my favorite chiptunes bands and one of the most popular if you're at all interested in chiptunes music as a genre they are the easily the most popular chip prince group i think um so the song is planet uh you can look up them up on spotify or on their website they have uh i, I believe I'm, i've been putting uh their link in the episode description but if i'm not then this plug is kind of my way of saying thank you anamanaguchi for letting us use your music in our podcast uh so yeah i'm gonna let y'all get to vetus mortis the second episode of season two um 
we're in it now, folks. This is season two. It's fun. Makeup's different. Dargo has weird sex in this next episode, I think, which is where the thumbnail comes from, I hope. Wherever you're watching this, you can see the beautiful thumbnail. Um, I don't always take pride in my screenshots, but sometimes I take really good screenshots, and that one is definitely one of them. Uh, and it says a lot about the episode, so uh, enjoy that discussion, and I will see you next week. And we're back. Thanks for letting me say that, Majon. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. Yeah, man. Uh, so, we watched another episode this week. What? Yeah, uh, I don't know if I told you, but, well, I watched. I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> Season 2, Episode 2, Vetus Mortis. This one was directed by Tony Tilsa, my boy, yeah. and written by my boy, Grant McAloon. McAloon. I recognize these names now. Yes, exactly. This is why we do this. Uh, and it originally aired March 24th, 2000, so just a week after the last one, as is appropriate. Uh, Grant McAloon didn't write a lot of episodes. He wrote this one and two other Season 2 episodes, and he also wrote Durker Returns. So he's kind uh, of a hit or miss. Uh, he's a he's mess. A but he knows how to write a, a Chiana. We know that for sure. Mm-hmm. So this episode was kind of two primary plots. The first one concerned Dargo. So the episode begins with Dargo and John and Zahn. <laughs> and they meet this lady named Nalan. And they eat some flan. Right. We, it and, was a little weird, but it worked out. And then they were there and then they were gone. It was weird. Um <laughs> No, that's not what happens. Well, it's close to what happens. They go. They land on this. <laughs> There's planet. one thing that didn't happen. See if you can spot it, listeners. <laughs> listeners who email in, text guess to seven eight five four. So they go to the the planet of bad green screen, and everyone has a robe. Meanwhile, on a Slayer album cover, <laughs> that was my first note. <laughs> As soon as they got onto that planet and there was the establishing shot of the planet, I was like, it looks like a land of bones and skulls. Right. And it's just a big bone castle. And the first thing that they see in the building is this weird little creepy uh, guard thing. And he's like, no, get away from my master. And they're like, oh, this is weird. And they go inside and there's uh, a Lady Luxon, lo and behold. And like I said earlier, her name is Nalam. And she recognizes Dargo as a general, which is a little awkward for him because... uh, what we learn over this episode is that Dargo is, in fact, not a general, which right. is interesting. And we were talking in the previous segment about how this these two episodes kind of give us details that we didn't think we needed to know. Like, for example, the tattoos on Dargo's chin beard flap thing uh, are supposed to denote that he is a Luxon general. And the reason he has those, as he pretty much immediately reveals in this episode to John, I think, mm-hmm. is that... Um, his, the general that he worked under passed away or died in the war. No. <gasps> That's not what happened. Oh, my God. I, I knew I'd get something wrong. I shouldn't be held to the plot. <laughs> um, so it's kind of a weirdly arbitrary revelation here because what it is. So can we just talk about why are they here is my thing before That's we even boring. talk about the general stuff. They're exploring? Yeah. But they seem to be coming here as if they know what they're looking for. But then they're all kind of surprised by what they find. (laughs) It's weird. It's a weird episode. Like, why are they on this planet? You know what I mean? Why are they on this planet? Why do they buy into everything? They kind of play into the plot really quickly. Like, they knew something weird was going to happen. And they're like, oh, we'll we'll go with it. Or at least, you know, Dargo does. 
And like we end up getting to a plot that is interesting on paper, but all the machinations to get us to start it are completely arbitrary. Yes. Anyway, so there's this Luxon lady. We get into her chambers, and it's revealed that she is like a big priest, like a really important priest. Um, and so Dargo it obviously, um, <clears throat> what's that? Reveres her. That's the word that I was thinking of. Yes. He reveres her and she's like, oh, are you, are you worthy or whatever? Like you're strong, but are you a, a good guy? And then she does some brain reading or whatever it is she did. Yep. And she's like, no, you're not worthy. You're a liar. Uh, you're not a general at all. And she's the one that even in the first place she revealed that he was a general. So then we go out into the hall and he's like, well, this is the deal. So he was in a battle. And his general was badly wounded, was the thing. The enemy was closing in on them. They were going to capture the general. And most likely they were going to break him through torture. Torture and or kill him, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so what Dargo did in order to save the general was posed as a general so that they would capture him instead and they tortured him instead. I got the plot mixed up with the plot of Mad Men. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Don Draper and Dargo are like yeah, the same character. Yeah, I also had Mad Men in the back of my head. Because the question... People who don't watch Mad Men don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's uh, not important. Yeah. If you want to find out, it's revealed in the first season of Mad Men. Yes. Um, Mad Men chat's coming next month. Uh, no, 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 no. We can do it. No. Okay. I can't take two of these. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> the show is fine. I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows, but I can't do two of these. But anyway, what's these mean? A podcasts. Oh no, not we. Never mind. <laughs> oh, you want us to just watch them and talk about them? <laughs> forget it. Forget it. It's, huh? it's not going to happen in any capacity. So let's not have a prolonged discussion. Um, I'm anti-long. Actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, call is fading. Yeah. Go, go, go! <laughs> You're throwing me off here, dude. Um. My question is, why did he not wash those marks off? <laughs> Probably their per- they're tattoos. Oh. All right. I guess that makes sense. Yay! I finally I just, got one of your questions. I feel like he could have at some point somehow, like Luxon Pride would have been such that he would have removed those tattoos. Because he felt point. bad or something? Yeah. yeah. But whatever. We just need a reason for her to be like, you're not worthy. And then for him to bust back into the room and say, no, I am worthy. I'm super cool. Check out how worthy I am, babe. God, Dargo slides hard. He body slides into weird accent territory in this episode. He does. I wasn't it's I wasn't doing his weird accent there, but he does do that. Just, yeah. Uh, so what happens next? Oh, we're letting me do this now. I'm yeah. sorry. I just, just You asked me a question. <laughs> Yay! I'm just teasing. Uh, back on Moya real quickly, uh, we establish our B-plot of the week. Which is that, um, oh my god, I just realized I just watched this episode before we started recording and I don't know how this plot ended. Is that weird? Which one? The Okay, so Chiana is washing uh, everybody's clothes. Which, again, things we didn't need to know, but like, hey, it's kind of cool that we know them. Uh, I always sort of think in the back of my mind when you have a scenario like this show where people are on a ship 24-7. It's like, how the hell do you guys shower? How do you guys get your clothes washed and have them be pristine every single week? Uh-huh. And the way they do here is there's just like a weird fountain 
with some weird water-esque goo that comes out of it that Chiana washes everybody's clothes with. Except Aaron's son. Because we need the girls to have conflict. So, if I'm correct, did they say it was Moya's amniotic fluid? I think so. Okay. So, if you Google what that word means, it means the fluid surrounding a fetus within the amnion, which I'm assuming is like a womb thing. Wait, did they? Is it that how it's worded? Amniotic fluid? I think so. They're. I think they mentioned. Oh, amnexus. Am- amnexus. Amnexus. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> Baby fluid. That would have been so gross. Well, what? But you wouldn't put that. It's past still this, one of. It's still one of Moya's bodily fluids. Yeah. According to the Farscape Encyclopedia Project, Amnexus is part of Moira's internal systems. It's a cleansing fluid that is sometimes used by the crew for cleaning their laundry. <laughs> That's so shitty of them. Yeah. That they're like, oh, cool. Some of her, like, bile. Londroxicon. <laughs> Let's put her clothes in it. Where do they put the dirty parts that they're washing off? They just leave it in that pool <laughs> for Moya to reincorporate into her body? <laughs> Oh my god, don't debate it. This yeah, is, okay, honestly, this is why I really was frustrated by the B plot, is it makes no sense. It's so like yeah. it makes real world earth sense, but it makes no Farscape sense. Right. Which is a thing this show never does. Mm-hmm. Um But just to kind of let's just go down the B plot real quick, because it's two seconds long. Yeah. Uh Chiana and Aaron fight, and Chiana's like, I'm not washing your clothes, and then Aaron's like, That's annoying of you. And then Aaron leaves. And we come back later and uh the fluid has frozen? Yes, it's hardened. Oh, it's because of the whole Moya. Oh, yeah, it I ties it. into the A plot. I, that makes so much sense. Uh, all, all, the whole point of this plot is that Chiana's washing the clothes, and then due to what's happening in the A plot, uh, Moya is going wacky, and uh, the fluids freeze while Chiana's washing clothes. So her, hand, her legs are stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And so they spend a lot of the episode talking about, like, oh, what are we going to use to get you out? Which led to just the one line from this that I loved, which was uh, Aaron being like, I wonder if I have any grenades around here. And then <laughs> Tiana, very terrified, is just like, well, I, she's kidding, right? Like, she's just, she's being super silly. <laughs> and then John's like, um, I have no idea. She might not be. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the type of humor that I want this show to roll with more often, is this sort of like, it's kind of Whedon-esque. Or it's just like, oh, what? Are you serious? Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. Like people reacting to the same thing, and then all of them get their little their little quips in as the scene progresses. So humor-wise, I thought that the B-plot was pretty okay. Yeah. But the fact that it just resolves itself because, oh, and everything's fine. Bye. Uh, is silly. Yeah. I like uh, Chiana was singing a cool song. Yeah, it had no, I couldn't. Laundry. I wanted to listen to the words, and I don't think there were any words. Uh, well, I think it was like her language or something. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, her language translator microbes. Ooh, ding ding! But no one else was in the room, so we don't need to know what she said. I know. But anyway, um, I just note that I forgot to mention the teaser. The way the teaser was set up for this episode with the cold them, open. You mean? It's okay. Yeah, I guess that's true. When it's a dramatic show, it's called a cold open, right? Yes. Uh, I like calling them teasers because I think this show is a, is a one long sitcom, really. <laughs> Essentially. If you think about it that way. Um, <clears throat> it's a new way of presenting a cold open for Farscape because we talk a lot about how the cold opens are usually like, oh no, we're freaking out. 
Or, oh no, one character's acting really weird. But this is a new one where it's like, oh no, what's going on? It's mysterious. That's my favorite kind of cold open. I liked it. It's a good change of pace. It has the downside of forcing the uh, the audience to ask, like, what? Why are they here? What are they doing here? And if you don't answer that question, then it... Which they don't. Which they don't. Then it kind of takes away from the whole episode. And this episode takes a long time to orient us as an audience and give us the information we need to just, like, hook into the plot. Like, it takes a good ten minutes before we're like, okay, I think I know what's going on here. It's an incredibly uneven series of acts because I was watching it, and I think when I picked up and you were you were semi-live watching with me, I was 30 minutes in before I fully understood the whole situation with uh, the lady. Exactly. And that's tw- at least 20 minutes of resolution, mm-hmm. which is part of my problem with this episode is that it resolves itself very quickly. Right. Yeah, it's just a very poorly paced episode. Um, and I think we didn't talk very much about the the Aaron Chiana dynamic. They're kind of, they kind of are pretty catty with each other. Yeah. Which I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I like it. But I it, think the problem is that Aaron doesn't we are, we're getting a lot of in this these two episodes of Aaron being like not shittier than she is usually, but just very different. Right, she's at odds with the other characters. Yeah, exactly. We and haven't we odds. haven't yet had a moment where like someone is teaming up with Aaron. Although next week, I have no idea what next week is. I just felt like saying the words. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I don't look at the Netflix summaries early because I'm cool. Um, but moving right along, we're going to see more. I think we're going to see more of Aaron uh, ingratiating herself in the group more. Sure, and it's not that she's an outsider. It's just that. She was pretty abrasive in both these episodes. And to be fair, John and Dargo have a lot of conflict in this episode. Yeah. So it's not like other characters don't fight. It's just that Aaron and Chiana were fighting over nothing. Exactly. They're fighting over the the fact that they don't like each other. And we got a scene like that briefly in the first Chiana episode after Durka Returns, mm-hmm. where Zahn, or right about the end of Durka Returns, where Zahn's like, she's so annoying. So we get the implication that Chiana doesn't interact well with women. Women. But um, I'm sorry. That was a joke only for Magellan. Uh, but she, I think that fits with her character. Sure. It's just the part where Aaron also reciprocates that. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, you suck. I think what it is is that um, they have a level of, because it's partially playful. You know, when Aaron comes back and Chiana's stuck, Aaron kind of is teasing her. It's not mal- It's not especially malicious. Yeah, yeah. Um. But they're talking with a kind of almost rivalry or uh, sarcastic rapport that hasn't been established because they haven't talked to each other very much at all. I think this is honestly the first scene where it's just Aaron and Chiana of the whole show. Whedon's test, testing it with Whedon. And so the... Reading Farscape as a sitcom works here because this is how two sitcom ladies talk to each other. Where it's like, oh, you're doing the laundry. Can you do my laundry? Um, why don't you do your own laundry? Uh, you're already doing laundry. Why don't you just do do mine? I'm stuck in the fluid, huh? Good yeah. luck getting out. <laughs> Let me go get my grenade. I think this show, the way that it flits between drama and sitcom is like interesting. And I like both sides of it. Sure. And it usually works better than... This. It's just this felt very 
not grounded in the characters that we know and just kind of like, I don't know, it's two ladies at the laundromat and they're, they're you know, getting mad at each other. They're getting sassy. That's the scene. But at least, at least it passed the, uh, the Bechdel test. Right? Absolutely. I was about to say that actually. Yeah, it does. So, there you go. What was I going to say about that plot? I don't know. I do, what I do know is that something happens in the A plot. Oh, what is it? You want to know? I do. I, really? Yes, that's what I'm here for. That's what I record for. That's what I live for. <laughs> I don't pay attention to the episodes the first time around. <laughs> I need someone to tell me how to think. And that's what Scape Chats is here for. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so Dargo and John have this conflict established where... So basically, Dargo's talking to the Lady Luxon. And she's like, oh, as a priest, I need to do this thing called the Ritual of Passing. Where I can only die if a Luxon that is worthy can do a like a cool spiritual ritual with me that allows me to fully pass away my mind body and soul which is a cool sort of lux and faith yeah uh detail and he is glad to accept because it's considered a great honor in his culture and as we've learned uh more and more about lux it's all about faith and honor um he really wants to do it and he's about to and then john kind of asks like hey is there any what's I know how these kind of things work. Is there a catch? And he's like, uh, I, I mean, I might die. And he's, John's not having it. John is not having the idea that he could just lose his friend on this random ship that they had no reason to go on other than that they, Dargo wanted to get down and get French fries from the gas station. Um, from the Slayer album cover gas station. So he's, that's the whole conflict between the two of them is, is Crayon is like, you shouldn't sacrifice your life for this. And we need you. Which annoyed me. Yes. Um, and I'm glad that, that Zahn was there to be like, no, this is his culture. Like, it's not, you don't get to say that it's crazy. If Dargo wants to do it, he gets to do it. It's like telling someone that arranged marriages are terrible because you're an American and you don't do arranged marriage. It's something like that. Yeah, it's very like, Western looking at uh, honor-based or religious-based cultures and being like, that's backwards. That's wrong. Why would you do that? That's a terrible idea. Which, there is something to be said for, you know, that's not always the worst way to approach things. And honestly, you're never going to be able to separate your own cultural understanding from the way that you, you interpret other customs. But you have to have an understanding that sometimes people just do things differently and that they value things differently than you do. Um, so it's nice to see that the show, that characters on the show believe that. And uh, even if John Crichton doesn't. I wish that John had been proven wrong for for his point of view here, instead of, very predictably, the ritual turning out to be the bad thing. Right. Because um, that would have... I think that would have been a better point for the show to make, as opposed to it not, this episode not really making a point at all. It, it copped out at the last minute. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But I, that, that, and that, that's happened before where John Crichton is sort of the guy who's like, you wacky aliens, that's not how you're supposed to do things. Um, and he's been called out for it on previous occasions. And I want to see more of that, and I want to see him. Uh, learn and get his confidence. Yeah, learn and, and, and change because of yeah. it. There is a line before we get into the second half of this episode that I liked a lot. Uh, 
the female Luxon lady sees Zahn and Dargo and John, which again, great little almost rhyme right there. Uh, and she's like, ah, very nice. A Delvian, a Luxon, uh, something I haven't seen before. He's like, oh, we're human. You haven't heard of us yet. And I just imagine like the humans being a band and they're like, oh, we play in Brooklyn bars exclusively. It's like a weird thing. We'll get, we're going to be on Pitchfork soon. It's like a thing. Right. Don't worry about it. Um, which this is a really obscure reference for people like us who were born in the mid nineties and, uh, no culture in the eighties only via osmosis and the internet. Um, but there was a Dungeon and Dragons television show in the, okay. again, early nineties, early late eighties, I believe. Okay. And, uh, my favorite thing about it was the theme song because, uh, it was an animated show in the vein of like a GI Joe or something like that, that animation style. And, the premise was that a bunch of kids gone on a roller coaster and when they went down it they like were in dungeons and dragons land it's a weird show but in the theme song they met the wizard or like the the main guy that's like their guide and he's like you four children you are all magical warrior mage archer uh uh, acrobat. <laughs> fourth kid is just like, um, I do flips. <laughs> that's my thing. I always love that. So whenever that's like my favorite kind of joke is the like one, two, and then flip on the three. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I just that's great. That's exactly what I thought of during that scene. That's great. But then, uh, right after the Dargo might die realization, I left. And then I had a whole internet thing today, and then I came back. I'm only giving this real-life uh, background because I started drinking between <laughs> these hats. And so I lost the plot at a, at a certain point. So, John, you're going to have to be my crutch here. Oh, I am? Okay. Just a little bit. Sure. So where do we start? Um, so after that conversation where John is, like, mad about this possibly being a thing, he goes and confronts Neelam yep. uh, about, like, no, don't don't do this to my friend. And then she's kind of like, "Well, but it's a it's our custom, and what's your deal?" And he's like, "Well, can't you just die, like normal things?" And she's like, like "I could, things. but if you had the option to not do that, wouldn't you do it differently?" And also, I haven't seen any of my kind in like a bunch of years. I don't know how you'd feel about that, but. It's bad. And he's like, all right, I get it. I haven't seen humans either. Do your stupid ritual. And then she does it. And then she does it. And, and they then... like they cut their hands and they, they uh, shake hands and they say Chewbacca over and over again. <laughs> I didn't listen for it. I forgot to listen for it. I could have sworn I heard them say Chewbacca. They're doing just crazy Lux enchanting. Uh, I... oh. So translator microbes. Uh, they have black blood, which is cool. There's some screaming. Dargo's doing a lot, a lot of screaming. screaming. John runs in, and then uh, what happened? Oh no! It turns out the the ritual was that they had sexy sex. Well, not yet. Oh, whoops! She's young now. Oh yes, she comes out and she's like, "Hey, what's up?" Except if that scene's supposed to be remotely titillating and the joke is that she turns around and it's like, oh, what is she now? She's got these weird bigger tentacles and she turns out and she's super hot. It doesn't work. Because <laughs> Luxon makeup makes you look really weird. Yeah. And so she's just like, hey, good looking, what's cooking? Yeah. And you're like, are you Because it's, it's clear that th there's a pretty lady under there. 
Yeah, But there's totally. no way to make Luxon look pretty. You can't. Exactly. Yeah. She looks like she went Super Saiyan 3 with all the extra tentacles that she got or something. Right. It's, uh, uh, I Real quickly, uh, Majan and I have talked about uh, Luxon hands, specifically how Dargo <laughs> has really weird human... Well, not really weird, but he is like his hands are just clearly those of a human being and that they're way lighter skin tone than the rest of his body and face and as we learn li- later nipples are um so i guess though i don't know if they realized it or what but the way that the show creators fixed that in this episode is they gave him these like weird mesh gloves yeah so now whenever there's a close-up on his hands uh we get to see these cool mesh gloves but uh again i can't remember her name but the female Nilam. Nilam. She doesn't have them. So then now she's the the, the source of this episode's like <laughs> yeah. weird Lux and Hands of the Week. Uh-huh. She has pale hands. Yeah, she does. She's got pale white hands but, and then dark red But skin. at least her No, she's pretty pale. Oh yeah, I guess. So her oh, her hands at least skin tone wise match up. Whereas I think our problem with Dargo is that he had an orange face and just white, white, white hands. Uh, and that it just doesn't seem like Luxon should have he right regular hands. Yeah, so it's still a bit weird to see them on her. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not as bad. So then it's like, hey, this is cool. She's young now. Uh, and then John's like, yeah, so I should I should go, right? And Dargo's like, yeah, you should, yeah, yeah. You should go. <laughs> because she's going to go to town on my nipple. <laughs> oh... <laughs> They start there. That's that's first base in Luxon. They don't even kiss first. She just and pops open his shirt and goes straight to Nip Town. Uh, you're flooding me with cold opens, Magellan. I don't know what to do with all these cold opens. Uh, if if Dargo's supposed to be really young, but he has a wife and a kid, uh-huh. uh, it's still weird that this is one of his still, like, probably early sexual experiences. Is just getting straight nipped. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we don't know his sexual history, but he is still a teenager for his species. Right. It's it's really weird that he is this intimate. I mean, nipple play? All right. It's cool. It's fine. (laughs) It's just I've never seen uh, sex on a show start with somebody going for a man nipple, especially. So it was a little weird. And then his face throughout the whole thing. Oh yeah, the I the real I, the real whipped cream on that Sunday. <laughs> it's not from this scene, but there is a scene later in the episode where Dargo makes a, an amazing face. And if you're watching this on YouTube, it's the thumbnail of this episode. <laughs> Lots of great Dargo faces uh this week. Yeah. I want that to be a meme, Dargo face. Also I hate the word meme. Can I just say that? Sweet I wrote sweet nipple looking Christ. <laughs> Oh, and then and then the best line ever after uh, she's like, "Oh my God, you're so good for such a young Luxon," and then he's like, "Ah, I'm gonna need a ritual of renewal myself." (laughs) They're using their own terminology to be flirtatious, and that's clever, but also incredibly cheesy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this is the part of the episode where we get Shiana is stuck in the hardened amnexus fluid. Yep. Not amniotic. Not not amniotic fluid. (laughs) No. And then we go back, and uh, Dargo and, and Neelam are, are post-coital, and she tries to feed him his braids. 
<laughs> she totally does. Well, she almost does. She's just, she's fondling his. Braids. She, yeah, she. I mean, she does try to. His, yeah, his beard braids. Uh, I wrote down what is this underwater sex music? Because the music in this episode is just weird. I was pointing out while we were watching it that I think I can see what the creators were going for. Yeah, I think that the this music. It's supposed to be like the, you know how like television shows will have the love theme from Love Boat or like the drama theme. <laughs> Stupid, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, this is like the Luxon theme. I'm just, just picturing, the- I'm sorry. That was funny to me because it's like you get the Seinfeld soundtrack and track six is the love theme from Love Boat. <laughs> But it's still just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. You guys had, you have to listen to it to kind of understand what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just weird, like, um, I don't even remember. There's like weird woodwind instruments and some harp stuff and also exactly. some, some like water sounds. Yeah, exactly. It's very ethereal sounding and it's cool, but it just, it, it's totally off. Yeah, it's just really off. So, um. That happens, and then we're starting to get the implication that a lot of bad stuff is happening with Moya, including the glue laundry. Um, and then another thing that happens is, uh, why? Did, remind me why there was a hole in the ship. Moya is basically shedding. Oh, that's cool. Uh, her like outside skin is falling off. And so this is an, a scene that plays with space in a cool way to me. I think it's mostly comedy. The idea is there's a hole in Moya. Which means that the air is falling out and everyone's freaking out. And uh, <laughs> in a moment of pure comedic bliss, Rigel gets sucked through the the air hole. Uh, but first, uh-huh. importantly, yes, and uh, his butt is perfect. As as Crichton says, "Wow, no leaks." <laughs> <laughs> it's perfectly hole shaped. Yeah. And so he just gets to sit there, barely breathing, but he gets to cover up the leak. And um, uh, Imagine how the scene would have gone if Rigel went out face first and his butt was still in the, the room. And John's, he's just really <laughs> farting the whole time. John just taps it and he's like, well, no leaks. No. <laughs> <laughs> Rigel, you get that shot from the outside and Rigel's just choking to <laughs> What's happening? Because we get a great shot from the outside of the ship of just his butt. And oh his, my god, and his feet. I need to rewatch that. Why do I not remember that shot? I need that. That should be my they, desktop. They hobby. swung by it. Good. Well, what's important is that Aaron gets to go and hang out there. <laughs> right. They're basically like, "Hey, go, Aaron, go outside and check to see if uh, there's like leaks or anything's weird." And then he's like, hey, did you check out my butt? She's like, yeah, I did. And not for long, because, oh, my God, <laughs> gross. <laughs> An earring butt is not cool at all. Yeah. Uh, that's really all that comes of that. I just thought it was a really funny moment. And, like, the idea of playing with space, like, she got to go from the other side and see it. But we, did, we the viewer, didn't see it. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. There's, there's a weird – that seems weird because – or at least when we come back to – to we're still in that room. Rigel's stuck. Gianna's stuck, and John's hanging out because it's like the, all the characters that are left take turns walking in and talking to John. <laughs> like Aaron walks in, and she doesn't even need to be there. She's like, "Yeah, I got this thing from outside." John's like, "Cool," and she's like, "All right, bye. I'm gonna go do something with this." And then Dargo and and uh, Neelam walk in, and uh, 
There's some weird... There's the implication here, I don't know if you picked up on it, that Chiana's like into Dargo. And she's jealous of of Neelam. Oh, I guess, yeah, that's that makes sense in the line where, yeah... She, especially like her face too when they, when they're talking about like oh we're yeah they cut to her face yeah you think that's gonna become a thing maybe I don't know it I there's been no hinting towards it there's a piece of background information that talks about how out of left field that concept is yeah um I don't think we need her to be romanced with anyone that's yeah I don't know we'll see character we'll see um. So Neelam tries to heal the ship with her, Just by touching it. with her magics in this scene, and it only makes things worse. So she's like, Dargo, I gotta go to a private place to work on my, my magic, my, my plot magic. I also gotta go to a private place to work on my magic. Going, moving on. Thank you. And uh, so they go to Dargo's room, his bedroom. He's got some cool posters in there. <laughs> Some great records. Um, Slater Kinney, uh, Def Leppard, Pink Floyd, <laughs> Strokes. Kind of, He's got an eclectic taste. Yeah, all over the map. Oh, yeah. There's some weird dubbing. Yes, there is. That happens. More weird dubbing happens later. Is this well. the part where he No, this isn't the part. No, that not, not yet. There's just... She's dubbed a lot. Yeah. In general. Um, Why do you think that is? If they've had this, the Moya set for so long, you'd think they would figure out acoustics. Well, I mean... Maybe she was too quiet as a, oh, as a person, or they just they didn't the mic her properly. Who knows? Right, right, right. And also, this is a new studio. Oh, that's true. I always forget. Always, <laughs> well, in, the, always in the last one. only applied for the, these two episodes. <laughs> I always forget that it's season two, episode two. <laughs> she determines that when she did the ritual of renewal and she thought she was drawing on Dargo's energy, it turns out she was drawing on, on Moya's energy. Oh no. So Moya is getting old. That's what's going on. Uh, then, Oh, interesting. I guess that makes sense. Yes. And that's why her Mnexus fluid is hardened and why she's losing her hull and why pilot's getting all sick and he's green now. Ew. She, Oh, that's what that was. I really just... <laughs> you were not paying attention, I guess. I dreamwalked through the second half of this episode. Yeah, that's what makes it all make sense. Um, is it a metaphor for, like, menopause? I don't know that it's a metaphor so much as it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's moyopause. Uh, uh... Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's just this is what would happen when, when Moya gets old. Gotcha. Basically. Interesting. Um, that's what pilot says to Aaron in the next scene when she goes down to talk to him and she's like, what a good scene. What's going on, dude? And he's like, I don't know. I'm getting old. This isn't supposed to happen. And then she's like, but so this whole pilot ship situation. And he's like, yeah, I was a thing before Uh, I was with Moya and then I got attached to her and uh, I had a lifespan, but now my lifespan is attached to hers. That's actually at the end of the episode, but yeah. Well, never mind. No, just he he didn't have the uh, the ability to talk that much at this part because he was all old. Oh, you're right because he was all gross and sad. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Cut that out. <laughs> just transplant it. Yeah, it'll really work and sound natural. He's so he's all stressed because or not stressed. He's kind of slowly dying. And Aaron's like, no, this is bad. <laughs> you you can't be stressed at that point in your life. Like, who cares? I'm green. 
losing my skin. There's nothing left. I bought a car. Uh, Aaron puts it together pretty fast that it's Dargo's girlfriend. Girlfriend. Yeah. Like, unreasonably fast, considering that she didn't even see the ritual happen. So she didn't know that this lady used to be old. It is weird. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense that that Aaron would be like, I know what's going on here. But she's the one that figures it out. I guess the only hint she could get is that um, when they come in on the ship for the first time, they're all touchy-feely. Mm-hmm. Dargo and uh, the lady. I mean, it's just, there's no real logic going on. It's yeah, just yeah. Aaron's like, hmm, I bet the one new person is the person who caused the problem. Which is always true in this kind of show's logic, so maybe she's just picking up on her own show's logic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so she runs out to chase them and uh, shoots Nilon. Oh my god. Yeah. And, oh, I remember this. This was cool. Yep. <laughs> and then Dargo is weird. Dargo kind of jumps in front, but kind of just takes a big step and then stands <laughs> there for about a minute. I don't know if it was my weird like displacement of time, but my problem with that scene is that it didn't feel like it was in slow motion. <laughs> it felt like they just... It really didn't. They just like made slow motion sounds, and then he just kind of stepped there, and the bullet traveled slowly. That's yeah. what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Is that Aaron's just looking at it like, like she has no worry or or panic on her face, like, oh my god, I'm gonna shoot Dargo. She just aims it. Cut to her freaking out. Dargo standing there. Laser still coming. Dargo standing there. Aaron still freaked out. Laser finally comes, splits, and goes around Dargo. And then we also see that uh, Luxon lady, Nilam, uh, has red eyes. And she probably caused that bullet to split. Yeah, she has her oh magic powers. Um, and once she has red eyes, you know that she's gone full villain. I know how TV works. Yeah. So then she freezes them in uh, computer-generated icicles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were killed by CG. Or we were frozen by CG. Yeah, I think I said right. that at some point. Uh, and then they, they leave the ship. They're, like, immediately unfrozen, though. That's, like, a two-second freeze. It's weird. Well, it's a commercial break. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a couple minutes. As soon as they come back, it's like, well, and we're fine. Mm-hmm. Neelam goes back to her to her place because she has all the books that would tell her what's going on, even though she knows what's going on. She's trying Everybody to find... Everybody poops. She's trying to find... <laughs> she's trying to find any way to fix things without having to give up her youth, which is understandable. That, yeah, I, I do the same thing every day. Uh, and then she tries to be like, Dargo, let's just get out of here. So what? Moya's just a ship. And then we get some really weird dubbing on Dargo. Oh, you were saying it we- sounded like a French guy. <laughs> it sounded like a, like a young French teenage boy. He's like, no, I, I can't even I can't even do the impersonation. Moya is but- not just a ship. She's alive. She's alive. It was really odd. It's weird because the difference is that Dargo is never at a medium. So maybe this was a medium and he's always at such a low. Like he's, you know, our traditional joke of Crichton, which yeah. I'm going to get a clip of from uh, one of these episodes and it's going to be on our soundboard soon. But uh, in that scene, it just felt like he was a complete. I was like, no, this has to be a different person. Mm-hmm. Something went on here yeah. production wise. And they were like, yeah, Anthony Timco didn't do his lines. So we hired uh, Francois <laughs> Devalier from accounting. <laughs> to record these lines it's so weird i don't know i can't put a clip here because yeah, that's hard but yeah. um, why do you think why do you think stuff like this happens magellan 
Well, I I mean it it's typical like they didn't get good sound on it is what it boils down to really. And this is the thing that happens a lot where you can't always get the the actor to ADR the lines. Auto I don't remember the what that stands for. Um but basically re-record over and dub it back in. So sometimes a pretty common practice is they'll get sound-alikes to do it. So somebody who's like doing an impression of the person. Yeah, it's automated dialogue replacement, obviously. Yeah, but... You, I didn't just Google that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so it may just be that they got somebody else to do ADR on, on Anthony Simcoe's lines, and it wasn't as close of a, an imitation as they wanted it to be. Or he just said I'm weird. Like, that could have yeah, been him. Yeah, honestly, could have just been weird him. delivery. I don't know. Because he's been having a lot of weird delivery moments lately. And some weird, weird DiGiorno moments, too. <laughs> what are you doing? I, I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> you, you didn't, you didn't, you stopped committing before you said anything. I know. <laughs> but, um, it, see, it feels like we're harping on this a lot, but the fact that it happens over and over again is like, this is now a trend. Yeah. Is Dargo sounds weird for some reason. Yeah. And then we, right after that, we get a scene where he <laughs> tries a new emotion. That doesn't necessarily work out. Oh, yeah. That's some bad acting. Yeah. Which is when uh, John shows up and he's like, Dargo, this lady, we got to kill this lady. And he's like, don't you think I know that? (laughs) And it was as good as what I just did. (laughs) Exactly. It was was a one take is what it was. Yeah, basically. Um, Because it's really hard to to look sad in Luxon makeup. That's true. You don't really get a lot to do with your eyebrows and whatnot. Yeah. So he just kind of looks like he's scrunching his eyes up. Do you um, think any of this has to do with the work of Guy Gross? Guy Gross. I don't know who that is. But. Guy Gross is my new supervillain on this show. He's my he's my foible. Uh, he's the composer for the show. He does the music and a lot of the sound work for the whole show, seasons one through four. Uh, and I looked him up because I like some of the music in the show, and I was like, "Oh, who does the music?" And it's this guy. It's this guy, Gross. Um, <laughs> Who's just an Australian uh, composer, and I don't think he's actually involved in the sound editing, but I know he does the music, and I wanted to mention that his name is Guy Gross, so. Stay tuned for the Guy Gross update of the... (laughs) To answer your question, I don't think it has to do with him. Yeah, probably not. But thank you for that. Thank you, Guy Gross. I'll see you in another life. A new character of ours. Yes. Um, So then they do the ritual again, and Dargo helps her stab herself. She's dead. Moya's cool. Uh, he kisses her corpse a little bit. It's real great. Then we get that scene at some point where Aaron's talking to Pilot, and Pilot's saying, uh, yeah, his natural lifespan is longer than that of a Leviathan, but when he bonded to Moya, he's like, yep, I'm only going to live as long as Moya. It's cool. And I'm, I'm chill with that. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that makes sense, because he's serving a purpose on on Moya. Exactly. That he wouldn't be serving otherwise. Um, there's more weird music when Dargo's just sitting in his sad kimono. (laughs) He's got a lot of crazy outfits in this episode. Well, just the one. Everybody's got a new outfit, though. Yeah, I was saying a little different. Uh, John is looking like a bargain bin Sith Lord. He's wearing like a tight garbage bag. (laughs) Like I just somehow didn't fit. Uh, Zahn has weird shoulder pads. Yeah. Uh, Aaron has more black 
And uh, Rhino's made of CG. Shiana's still wearing her Uggs. So <laughs> that's good. Uggs before they were Uggs. Right. Uh, what's it called? Dargo's wearing leopard print at the beginning for some reason. Oh, yeah. And then he wears his weird kimono. So that was his two outfits. Right. I don't know, man. I just don't know. Um, but yeah, I so like the idea of new season, new outfits. So I, I, I pay a lot of attention to stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think it's good that to just mix up what they're wearing once in a while. Totally. Uh, so John walks into the room and he's like, Dargo, are you cool, man? You need to be alone? And Dargo's like, yeah, but not yet. And then, and then he breaks out two beers and they crack them open and watch the football game together. Yeah, that's the, that's the episode. Uh, yeah. I like this episode, man. I like, I thought, well, I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. I loved, I was madly, I hated it. <laughs> I I wanted to say that I liked it, but I I just didn't. Um, yeah, it. Like I was saying, there's just a lot of arbitrary maneuvering that goes into making this episode happen, and we don't get a lot out of it. Like, there's no big thematic takeaway here. It's just no, God, it's no. an interesting conflict to put Dargo in, but we don't get anything from it necessarily. It's funny, yeah. It's a it's a legitimately funny episode. It's got it's got funny it. bits. The Rigel stuff is great. Yes. Oh, it's okay. And Zahn rubbing his feet at the end. <laughs> yes. Some great uh we haven't gotten a lot from Virginia Hay yet this season. Except Other than her weirdness last week. Right, her being crazy in the first episode for no reason. Uh-huh. But she does some great acting off of, of Rigel's reactions. Like the puppet and her have a gen like a genuinely spontaneous moment where she like tickles him and then he reacts and she laughs at it. It's it's uh, whimsical. Yeah, it's whimsical. Is, the it, show doesn't do whimsy a lot. It's impressive when it does. Yeah, or it's cool. And the Rigel puppet in general, I think, has more articulation to it now. Oh yeah, and there you can clearly tell they're using um, in the video that I mentioned in the last segment. Uh, they're using like different puppets. Mm-hmm. There's like five different Rigel puppets, and there's like a close-up shot one. <laughs> I think they said there's one for when they throw him off a cliff. Mm-hmm. It's just basically like a free puppet to, to, to chuck, and then they have one for like the actress touching, and that's assumingly uh, the one that gotcha. they used for that. Gotcha. You know, again, I just I need I have a huge thing to, to ask you. Yeah, what's up? Just okay. First of all, hi. Hey, what's up? Not much. How are you? I'm good. Just recording a podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, if we're doing that, then could you do me a huge favor just real quick? Just background finish. I can! Thank you! That's the background fairy. Oh. He's he's not going to come back anymore. He's dead. <laughs> he's, yeah. he, he got shipped out to Vietnam. Yeah. Sorry. Bummer. That's still going on. It's a no. It's a no. It's a lovely country. He's going for vacation. <laughs> oh. Racist. Oh. He said he was dead. Anyway. No, he got, like, food poisoning. Good. Anthony Simcoe had to be propped up on pillows for the sex scene, so the cos- <laughs> the costume scene seam wouldn't show. So that's just... Weird. So you know that. Okay. I-, I don't know where the costume seam would be that that was an issue. Also, they're not naked in that sex scene. No, they're not. They're still wearing their, their kimonos. Ugh. They're covering their bits with each other's bits, though. Mm, so maybe their bits are out. The bits. bits are out. Uh, Gigi Edgley had a wisdom tooth removed shortly before her scenes being stuck in the fluid. That makes me angry. She's 21. 
Really? Yeah, remember we talked about this. Oh, Jesus. She's 21 when this show started. Uh, good for her. Yeah, it is. That just makes me angry because you're so young and you're pretty good. Uh, Dave Elsie, the the genius behind Tan Dargo from last episode's <laughs> yeah. background information, decided that female Luxons should not have beards because they just, quote, don't work. What? what? So, yeah, I'm with you there, buddy. <laughs> What? I think it's terrible. I'm brilliant. I'm here to fix your character designs. No female facial hair. What? That's crazy. <laughs> um, let's see. Rockney's like, damn it, that's five episodes down the pipe. <laughs> he can't write episodes about that anymore. The writer, oh. uh, Grant McCallum, worked on this script before the series was renewed. He was just in his room being like, man, if Farscape came I back. I really want Luxon's to have sex. This is the episode <laughs> I would write. Uh, he's like he's like slobbering over breathing like this is the one and then they're like uh hey grant what? hello what? hello <laughs> uh we need we need a couple more episodes for season two oh <laughs> he folds it up and puts it in the guy's like collar <laughs> he's like, that's, that's for you lad that's for you that's fine and then that became the episode yeah that's true actually that's on the trivia. that's very true uh you know what else is true is rockney and had a quote about this episode. <gasps> I miss these. Where he said, this one actually is interesting and makes a lot of sense. He, he said that nothing in this episode flew in the face of their original plan for Luxons, but also all of it was made up for this episode, which I think is the mark of a good, like, species focused episode. Where you can, you can have all these details, but they don't force you to break canon or change canon. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. And I think that I think Farscape does that really well. Oh, absolutely! Of showing us new things about species that we just hadn't, we didn't know before. Because um, it really take away from these episodes, really. Yeah, because it really does feel like we're living the way John Crichton is living, where we're just in an environment where the characters wouldn't think to be like, "All right, so my name's Dargo. I'm a Luxon. Uh, what you got to know about Luxons is we have super long tongues. We have cool blades. Uh, these markings they mean that I." was posing as a general. We have some like crazy religious uh, figures who do this thing. That doesn't happen. Instead, Hi, I'm Zon. And then three hours later. Yeah. So priest. Instead, we get this information bit by bit living in the environment the way that, that John Crichton is, which is pretty cool. Show don't tell in your screenplay. Uh, here's the background information piece I alluded to earlier. I'm just going to read it uh, verbatim here. Both Edgley and Simcoe remember looking for anything in the scripts that would explain the attraction between their characters. And Edgley said, quote, We were trying to find some sort of chemical reaction so the audience would buy that there's an attraction there. It was good to work on the scene where he's down on the planet and something's gone wrong and she picks up on it. Okay, that quote doesn't give us a lot, but it shows that they were on the same page as us. Of like, are they interested in each other? What's going on there? I wanted Zahn and him to get and, and uh, Dargo to get together. Uh, well, there's still time. <laughs> Tony Tilsa had some trouble adjusting to the new set, just because he would go out the wrong door or something. I don't know. Oh, where? Wait, where does that source from? That's from Farscape Chronicles, Thanks, Starburst Farscape Chronicles. edition DVD version two point one. Oh, so it's like a commentary thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Crichton references uh, Silence of the Lambs, 
So, good job, Crichton. Does he? Yeah, he says that she's going to rip out Dargo's liver and sup on it with Chianti. Oh, yes. I saw... Uh, this is unimportant. I saw a video of the uh, voice actors from Dragon Ball Z uh, dubbing over that scene today, and it was pretty fun. <laughs> cool. Anyways. Um, and then this is the only screen appearance of a female Luxon. <gasps> a Fluxon. A f- Sorry. A Fluxon, <laughs> you might say. And that's it. Never again? I don't think so. Really? But we might see huh. male Luxons. Maluxons? Yes, Maluxons. Now, Alan, what? something that we do every week that I feel like we should do again is talk about what we're going to watch next time. Why do we do that? I don't know. It's just kind of like a fun little quirk. It is a fun little quirk. Can you do, I want you to do it, though. You want me to do it? Please. I'm riffing because I forgot to open it at the beginning. I already have it open. Do you want me to just start? Do we do the first one for you? Uh, yeah, I would. And you should probably do both because my Netflix is frozen. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I'm really happy. <coughs> Wait, it's on unfreezing. My... It's unfreezing. Oh, We're doing okay. We're doing okay. I'm searching. Farscape. I'm looking at them. I can just say them. I know, but what if I could just say them? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Hey guys, just uh, thank it, you. Just do it. You, you're great. Just, okay, guys. <laughs> Finally, my time is now. I'll do this. I, I want to do the second one. Now. Okay, I'll do the first one. Next week on Scape Chats, we're going to be watching season two, episode three, "Taking the Stone." Distraught at the death of her brother, Chiana joins a gang of nihilistic young aliens. Crichton, Aaron, and Rigel try to talk Chiana into coming back. What a weird trio to talk Chiana into doing anything. Yeah, Rigel hasn't. Is, if that's a that seems like an off uh, away team episode. Yeah, which means that we're gonna get Rigel on the away team, which might be a little awkward. Yeah, you like that real close up on the mic recording, by the way. That's really thank weird. you, thank you so much. Yeah, babe. The second episode that we're gonna watch is season two, episode four. Crackers don't matter. <laughs> Boy, do I know it. The crew returns from a planet with a meek alien called Troutix, who promises he can alter Moya's electromagnetics to make her untraceable. I've heard that this episode is crazy. Crazy? Like, it's really weird, is what I've heard. All of them are. No, but, like, weird. Interesting. This has been Scape Chats. Magellan, thank you for joining me for another adventure into space. No problem, man. Anytime. Stay tuned next week for more Farscape. And this escape chats somewhere in the universe.